This is a WWAR special bullet. Police in Haddonfield have just made the grisly discovery of three bodies in the upstairs bedrooms of this house. It appears that the murders took place sometime early this evening. Authorities have confirmed that all three of the victims are teenagers, two girls and a boy. Police are searching the entire area for a mental patient who escaped last night from the Smiths Groveborn County Sanitarium. He is now believed to be at large in Haddonfield. Everybody, this is the Skeleton Crew. There are four days left till Halloween. We wanted to give you some time to enjoy, because everyone's entitled to one good scare. And I'm with the girl who would totally fuck Brian in her friend's parents' bed, Jamie Sammons. <laughs> See anything you like. <laughs> yes, please, we need more. Keep pulling that sheet down. And we're also with the guy who will not get his ass away from here tonight, Aaron Duncan. What's up, Aaron? Nothing, man. Oh, I got the I got the Lonnie Lamb, didn't I? <laughs> oh man. Hey Lonnie, get your ass away from there. <laughs> That's great. Oh, nothing, man. Glad to be here, dude. Twelve years in the making. Yeah, season twelve of Skeleton Crew, and here we are, people you know, it's weird, like the old joke is what hasn't been said about Halloween 1978? You know, every podcast has done it, this, that, the other thing, every video reviewer, whatever. And strangely enough, guess who hasn't? Us. <laughs> <laughs> We've never done Halloween 1978 in any real way, shape, or form. I mean, the closest thing we've done is um, Halloween versus the Rob Zombie remake. Right. Right. I mean... Tons of other podcasts have obviously had. Sorry, I'm chewing. I'm, I'm doing my Andy impression. Mm. But yeah, I, I I wanted to get in the right mindset for this podcast, so I, I ran to the store and got candy and like Coca Cola because I was like Halloween. I got to figure out. You rolled a joint. Yeah, I rolled Aww, a joint. I love it. <laughs> you know, other podcasts have obviously done you know Halloween things or broke them down, but like one by one. But no other podcast has the curse of michael J and those specialty kind of <laughs> halloween episodes so like yeah uh, yeah well the reason we never did you know it's funny there is a reason we never did a halloween review it's because in 2012 one of the first things we did were bump heads with the house of horror podcast because they randomly attacked us after we did our Friday the 13th retro, and they did the whole, you know, fanboy thing, who wants to hear um, the fanboys just say everything's great or whatever. So they did a Halloween retrospective, and then we sought out to be above that. And we were like, oh, we're not just going to do a typical Halloween show on Halloween. So we're doing Tom Atkins interviews. We're interviewing uh, the guy who owns the lost footage of Halloween 78. We're going to interview the dude. Who was that one guy who, like, ran the company that released, like, Anchor Bay, dude? Like, he, uh... Oh, uh, Justin Beam. 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So we did a ton of stuff. On, and then we did the big show, the Halloween Movie Awards, which has never been uh, duplicated in the history of horror podcasts. So that's a pretty cool thing. So um, we put it out there this year that uh, maybe it's time to finally do this. So uh, on one of the prior shows, I, I said that we're going to, I think a bare bones show, end of summer, it was called. I said that we're going to put a poll up on the Skeleton Crew group page. And you got to remember, our show is has been technically kind of dead in the water since 2017. We basically retired. We've done a special on 18, special on 19, eight shows in 2020, uh, and then a couple things here and there for 21, and then and two. And then we came back in 2023, kind of a revival of our show. I put it out there and I said, listen, I know that a lot of the people who were around then aren't around now, but uh, I'm going to put a poll up, the first eight Halloween movies, you guys vote, but we won't even do it unless we get, I think I said like 25 votes, because I was like, you know, if you guys don't even bother voting, I'm not going to put all this effort into this, (laughs) if no one's that into the show anymore. So, lo and behold, we got 51 votes. Wow. Wow. Double what I said, plus one. And Aaron didn't even vote because he's on Facebook, so it would have been 52. Uh, Yeah. It looks like none of you want to hear Resurrection. None of you really (laughs) want to hear Halloween 5. (laughs) So I think those got zero each. Uh, Halloween 2 only got 3% of the vote. Halloween 6 got 10% of the vote. Halloween 4 got 12% of the vote. Halloween 3 got 26%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Halloween 1 got 40% vote. Um, A lot of people did write to me and they were saying that they're surprised. They're shocked that people would want to hear this show. They said, like, why? I'm surprised that people wouldn't rather just hear something different because they feel like everybody's done a show on, on this movie. So... I thought about that, too, and I was like, yeah. But I said, you know, I guess we just got to be aware of this fact and definitely bring our own flavor to this whole thing and definitely discuss things that we just haven't ever heard anybody talk about. And, you know, we're going to touch on things other people said. It's going to happen. You could bring up something somebody else said, but you never heard anything I said about it. You never heard anything Aaron said about it. And Jamie, how many times have you reviewed 1978 Halloween? I don't think I ever have. Uh, maybe uh, years ago, we did the TV version on evil episodes. I know we did part two. I can't swear that we ever did part one. So I may not have ever done an actual review of this film. Right. But hey, uh, Brian and I just did our Friday the 13th retrospective. <laughs> and you know, everything in the world has been said about that. But I feel like we mined you know, quite a few interesting viewpoints out of that. You did. I mean, you can always find something. Yeah. Check out Jamie's Friday 13th retro horror in the house of salmons. Uh, it was, it was great except for her part eight review. It was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But in fairness, I only heard about eight minutes of that. So yeah, he couldn't even listen to the whole thing. I was like, yeah, this is, this is killing me. I, I can't listen to this. (laughs) Well, let me start off by saying this about Halloween 1978. Why is it simplicity is so striking in this film when everyone today is striving to avoid 
that in filmmaking since basically the 80s. Everything, everything's bigger, crazy, fantastical. But it's strange because some of the most simplistic films are the ones that people gravitate to the most with Psycho, Jaws, things where it's just people talking and saying things and walking around and doing very little uh, for most most of the, the film. Why does that affect us so much? And I think it's because it's a reflection of most of us on our daily lives. Like most people's lives aren't as eventful as most anything we see on TV, whether it be sitcoms like Married with Children or cartoons like The Simpsons or soap operas like 90210. Like, we don't have lives that are that eventful. I think the thing is, we need escapism. That's that's needed. We long to peek in the keyhole and see what's going down in the clubhouse of the Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club. Like, we need that adrenaline rush that, that we'll never get in our daily lives. I think what makes Halloween amazing is that Halloween gives us all of this. It's a reflection of our own lives with our own friends and you're in a front row seat in like a haunted house car on the on the on those tracks that take you through the the haunted house and it takes you right through the terror and i think that's what strikes people the most you get the reflection of you and the adrenaline you seek yeah, yeah uh, relatability you know i think that's a big thing is if you find someone you can connect with in a film that you, it's like how many like how many times do you watch movies and go oh i know that guy you know, not that guy, but you know that guy. Right. You know? And so when you can connect with something on a personal level, I think it speaks to you even more. And the beauty of something like Halloween is that, you know, we've all, uh, well, most of us anyway, have carved a jack-o'-lantern in our life or tried to scare other people or gone trick-or-treating. So it's things that, you know, made popcorns, spilled butter all over ourselves, walked out half-naked to the laundry room that's in the backyard. Yeah, I mean, we've all... Oh, I've, I've done that like three times this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, they feel like real people. And I think Deborah Hill, who uh, was... Uh, she did the dialogue for the teenage girls. I think she played a huge part in making them feel realistic versus, you know, say those same characters in the Rob Zombie films, particularly the first one. It just that I hate them all. All wrong. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? They they had the, the greatest blueprint to copy it here, more or less. And they, they, they went completely wrong. I think Rob Zombie thought he was writing what teenagers are like today, but that's like obnoxious teenagers. Dude, do you uh, exactly? I'm like, do you know anybody who's not an asshole? <laughs> I know. Uh, so, what, what do you think, Aaron? What do you think strikes everybody so much about the simplicity? You know, it's funny because I think it's a thing of when you talk about the simplicity is it's very easy to feel lived in it. As long as you're not, you know, getting into your phone or this or that. I remember, um, seeing this movie in the theater with a friend of mine who had seen it a zillion times uh, a couple of years ago. And it was playing at one of our local theaters. We're like, Oh, we'll go see it. And we seen it. And 
when all you had was the darkness around you and to concentrate on it on the movie itself uh you feel so much more like you're living in it and you know being in the kind of midwest kind of like we are town and all that stuff like i mean it just rings true it feels the atmospheric part so realistic and I think they were so clever in the way that I think it was one of the producers or something. I heard them say that so much of the movie was theater of the mind and like you kind of see things that aren't there, Um, you know, like with the lack of blood. I think it's kind of the same concept for you being able to put yourself um, in the movie or feel like you kind of live there because like your mind can take you to that place. The relatability is so much there because the slate is so, so blank. Right. Yeah. They, 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 They do. They make the most out of very little. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think uh, I think that's a big thing because it's like, you know, like Jamie said, like I can't relate to any of those people in, in the Rob Zombie Halloween movie. Like not I don't think. Yeah. Not one of them. Uh, no, no. Mm-mm. It's weird. No. Maybe D. Wallace. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. the only one who seems like a real person to me. And, and of course, she doesn't make it very far. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and we don't mean to make this like a this versus that thing. It's just that it was a great example to juxtapose the dialogue between the girls um, in this movie. And that. But you can really do that with anything. Take any generic 80s slasher and check out the dialogue in all of them. Like, they are... It's just not like this. Do you know the one part that takes me out of this movie so bad? The one piece of dialogue? I've told you this before, Alex. I know I have. Hmm. So, and I say this as this being in my favorite movie of all time, this is in my top three, but for some reason, it's the most cringy after school special moment to me in the world. Like Lori's like walking by herself or someone scared. Yeah. Yeah. And she has like a weird moment where she talks to herself and she's like, well, kiddo. I thought you outgrew superstition. And then like, kind of like shakes her head and does this cheesy walk away thing. And I'm like. Kiddo, I thought you outgrew superstition. Do people do that? Like talk like that to the like? I can understand like talking your inner voice and all that stuff, but she actually like says it out loud. It. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's such a weird feeling because I was like, who did that? Who wrote that? Like, <laughs> it's a movie thing for sure. You know. Yeah. I also have never gotten that. Like, I don't get it. Like, what is she talking about? Like, what superstition? Yes, there were trick-or-treaters that she was looking at, but what's what superstition was she supposed to have outgrown? Well, I, I think I could tell you, because I, I was going to get into this. So, listen, we're going to jump around. Um, this is not a movie that you need to walk through on. If you do, just turn this fucking <laughs> show off, because you need to rewatch this, like, 50 more times, I guess. One of the things I wanted to bring up, because when my wife was watching this with me, this time around, um, Lori saw Michael while she was in school. She saw Michael by the hedges. She saw Michael in the car when he sped, he hit the brakes and all that. She saw mm-hmm. Michael at the at the clothesline. Well, actually, that was okay. So that was she saw those other three. So I said to my wife, "What what state of of mind would you be in right now if you were Lori?" And she'd be, she said, oh, I'd be totally paranoid and I wouldn't be alone. That's for sure. I'd call my dad. I'd call you. I'd call some I, or, or just my girlfriends, whatever. I would not I would not be comfortable being alone after seeing that image 
gazing at me in three different places, especially the, the, the car one where he hit the brakes and just stood there in that eerily, mo- that eerie moment. It, it's baffling to us that Lori is in such a calm and collected state of mind by the time she's at the Wallace house. But I guess when she said the superstition thing, she should be scared at that point, correct? I mean, she's been through all that already in all those spooky moments. And then she heard that noise and was like, oh, God, is is that guy following me? Is he killing somebody right now? Is that what I'm listening to? And then he's going to come for me. And then she saw it was just kids like, ugh, boy, I thought you outgrew superstition. So that's what I'm guessing she meant by that. Okay. I mean, you know. I never knew that. I never put that together. So you're kind of blowing my mind here. I've watched this movie a lot. I just wish she would have like seen it and been like, ah, fuck Lori. Like, or something like that. Like, like instead of like, or like, ah, okay. But like, it was just the, the, the well kiddo. Like, like, right. like that got. Yeah. Well, I have kiddo. never referred to myself as kiddo. Yeah. Like that, that's the, I think, I don't know that, that part's just weird. If I could like, Sometimes I think about making my perfect versions of movies and just editing parts out, and like that would be the part I edit out of, the, of this. Other than that, nothing. I get it. Um, and I guess to wrap up my thing with my wife, um, so she sees him again at the clothesline, and somehow she's okay. Just calm down. This is ridiculous. She's not even in the least bit worried. She's hanging out, watching TV, making Jack Lanterns, making popcorn. Why is she okay at that point? And I think my wife uh, pretty much hit it on the head. She goes, well, didn't she get high on the way to the house? (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. Well, there you go. So if you want to know why Lori is not in a heightened state of panic by that point, you could just say she smoked a dube on the way there. Yeah, she was like, "Oh, cool, jack o' lanterns and motherfucking yeah." And she was thinking about dudes the whole ride there with uh, Ben Tramer. She was scared of the dad finding the smelling the pot in the car, so her mind already has left Michael and all that kind of stuff, and she's already concerned with these in the moment type things, you know. So, why do you think? Why make Michael a killer as a kid? What do you think that means or meant to the movie and the character? He could have just been an escape mental patient. Him killing his sister had nothing to do with what he did with these girls. What do you think it means to the movie and to the character? Like, and what do you think it means to Haddonfield? Like, when the kids, when the kids are like, "You can't go in there. That's a spook house." And and Lonnie Lamb's like, and his friends, they're gonna get. He's gonna get you. He's gonna get you. The boogeyman is coming. Are they referring to Michael and like what he did? 15 years ago and if so how come they don't refer to him as like a child murderer or anything like i know are they really processing that he should be 21 now i mean isn't it more like a ghostly thing wouldn't it be like the kid who killed his sister like forever like and are they referring to him i never thought when they were saying the boogeyman is coming or anything like that, that they were referring to Michael Myers. I just think in the world of Halloween and uh, Haddonfield and all that stuff, that that was one of those Halloween wise tales or superstitions and all that stuff. Oh, hey, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. And uh, that Michael Myers happened to live up to the title. I would love to have some Dr. Loomis psychology about why killing the sister was this jarring thing. And if I make sense about it in real time in my head, um, I just think they were like, that's a hell of an opening. And like, uh, you know, that's a hell of an opening. And we'll have a 
killer thing and all that stuff. But, you know, they wanted to make Michael that, uh, something that fixated on someone and was like a killer shark. You know what I mean? And he was going to kill whoever was in front of him. And in this instance, it happened to be his sister. And I'm sure there's like deeper people that say, well, you know, he was killing them for having sex and this and that and so on and so forth. But I think he was just killing whoever was in his line of sight. And it didn't matter if it was his sister or his brother or this or that or... Do you think that takes away from the character or adds to it? Like, because now we have to contemplate, well, what flipped at six years old on Halloween night to make this happen, as opposed to this crazy dude who's always been me- mentally unstable? Because now we have to imagine he was a normal kid. I I think when I imagine that he's a normal kid, I think it adds to the entire thing. Yes. But it takes away from it when you start over-explaining it or... Oh, he was, his, you know, it was his sister or his sister's brother or their dog and all that stuff. But I think it's that uh, same theater of the mind concept when the movie's over and I say, man, that's crazy that they did that. Like, or why did he do that? Why? Because like so many times when you hear of someone doing something fucked up or something stupid or someone killing someone, the question is always why? And you never get an explanation. And I liked that about this movie. And you liked that he did it as a child without an explanation. Yes. Yes. That makes him scarier because you have no idea what's going on in his little brain and what caused him to suddenly just go off his nut. And it starts making you think about the people around you. Um, I mean, not in a necessarily a practical way. I don't go around and think, oh, my God, Brian's going to flip his shit and kill me one day. (laughs) But, you know, it can make you think like you we don't have a reason for this. He never exhibited any proclivities for killing anyone prior to this it just came out of nowhere that's terrifying which that's one of the things that i don't like about the fact that you know they did the whole sister thing right because i think that takes away some of the mystery oh, yeah and also i i love the fact that the reason he got fixated on Lori is because she came to his house he saw her And he's like, oh, all right, because and I think they did it right in Halloween 2018 when they have him just walking down the sidewalk, veering off this way, randomly killing somebody over here, going through the neighborhood. You know, that's my favorite part of that movie, because I think that really describes who he is. It exhibits that there's no rhyme or reason, because exactly what is he accomplishing during that stroll? Nothing. He's just killing. He doesn't have a motive. He doesn't need one. He just needs to kill. And I always describe him as, uh, in that film in particular, but just in general, I describe Michael Myers as like a bug that you trap under a glass. And it's just going to keep trying to walk. And then you lift up the glass and it keeps walking. And then you trap it again and it'll just keep on walking when you lift up the glass. That's him. You know, they paused him. They made him stop when they put him in the asylum. And then when he got out, he just kept going, just kept doing what he was doing. And that's uh, to me, that's what makes him scary. 
Yeah. Because I was going to ask you guys, what do you think Michael kills for? Like, is it the same reason other serial killers kill? Like, Dahmer or Gacy or whatever? Like, is there a satisfaction he gets? Is there a rewarding feeling? Does he know why he's doing this? Do you think do you think he's almost like uh Aaron's one of his favorites uh Terminator? Do you think he's just <laughs> set in motion and he will not stop until you are dead? But even though d- does he know why he's doing this? Is is there a goal? Is there a reason that them being alive is some type of problem for him? Like is it any kind of conscious thing or do you think he's just who is just for some reason like evil on two legs like Loomis says? In whatever his psyche is, it's uh, Halloween pranks, more or less, because like it, like they all tie into each other. It's like, oh, this is a thing where I'm gonna, you know, do this person. It's like a work of art almost for him, you know, like 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 the way he yeah. kind of like head tilt and this and that, and the way he sets bodies He's up. Admiring and, his work. It, it's yeah. like hanging a Halloween decoration and seeing yeah, it looks good. Like that's what he did to Bob. Yeah. Yes. David Gordon Green did that right, too, when he had him actually make like the guy in the kitchen with the knives, you know, when he's just plunging Mm -hmm. the knives in just every single knife that he he can find. He's just (laughs) plunging them in. It's like he is creating art. And uh, maybe I mean, maybe you can compare that to a serial killer, except people like Gacy they get a different kind of satisfaction out of it. Like him particularly, it was a sexual thing. A lot of times it is. You don't ever get that from Michael. He's a blank slate. He doesn't have a sexuality. He just is. And so I don't know that he actually like gets joy out of doing it, but it's almost like a, I don't know. There's almost like an innocence. A childlike thing. Yeah. Yes. Like a, like a curiosity. And when he does the little head tilt, which I believe, I, I want to say that wasn't in the script and he just did it. And then they were like, oh my God, that's good. Uh, if that's correct, then that was a really good instinct to do that because it does give him this childlike quality right. of curiosity. And, and wonderment. And exactly. And, and I think really that's what he does. Even you could tie that to him looking at his own hand while he's stabbing Judith. We all know it's really just John Carpenter saying, well, I want to show that in the movie. But (laughs) but let's keep this in the movie. And (laughs) and you can say that his fascination with his own work on Bob, you can you can tie that into his fascination with looking at his own hand, wielding the knife that's murdering his sister. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. There's some fascination that he has to see this knife enter and exit and enter and exit you know like there there is that childlike thing well and if there's any of the real child of michael myers in there then maybe he is actually wondering or saying to himself i can't believe i'm doing this right when it showed him with the knife when he was a kid like after uh like he murdered his sister it seemed like it was like like i said just blank and this and that and like it was just part of his part of his purpose so to speak like I'll, I'll tell you to tap into the to that a little bit so 
my girlfriend, she's a court deferment worker um, for juveniles. And so like she'll basically if the, the long and short of it is if someone commits a crime like part in the state of Kentucky, part of their like what would be Miranda rights to us is they have to go through her office first to determine if they're, you know, if they should go to court. And, and it, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they do. Like it could be anything from like some kids you know, stealing some stuff from a store all the way down to like straight up murder. And like some of the juveniles like she deals with that I've heard about, it's just like, oh, that's just pure evil. Like you just you just hear about it and you're like, wow, this is like Michael Myers kind of stuff. And you kind of wonder like what would be in of that. So it's like when I think about that in that sense, I kind of wonder like how well they tapped into that of someone doing this as a kid and like, what would they transition to be as an adult? But obviously he becomes a, an immovable force. Right. Well, like, do you ever watch like true crime stuff about child, like children who murder? Um, and it is pretty much a constant that when they ask them, uh, like if the police are talking to them or they're in court and they'll say, you know, why, why did you do this? The majority of the time it's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, of course, that's a kid's answer for everything, but they don't really seem to. I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea. That, they hardly show remorse to it either. Yeah, oh, they yeah. don't. And you have. And so it's like it comes off. Yeah. Pure evil. You know, if you see like a nine year old that strangles and stabs a three year old, how else would you describe that? Oh, yeah. But pure evil. You know? Yeah. So we can't really pinpoint you know like i on on bare bones the one i did end of summer i wanted to get into halloween a little bit as like a a preamp kind of thing so i i joked around about like (laughs) the motive of michael to kill his sister and i made up this whole scenario where michael came home from trick-or-treating the the boyfriend pulled his mask off and snapped it back into his face and it fell on the ground and he was like eh, whatever and the sister didn't come to his defense and he just ran out and then he looked in and he saw the kid pick up his mask and you see no remorse there and they went upstairs and then he he got that something tripped in him to do that and he went up there and then he was so shocked that the guy came down so quickly he wasn't expecting <laughs> that he's like damn i thought you were gonna be up there longer so he i think his sister was shocked too <laughs> so 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 michael was taken back by like oh and he didn't act on it but then when the guy left his sister was still up there she didn't defend him when he did that to michael and then he went up and killed her and i made that whole joke scenario but obviously i was just being playful um i don't really think it's that simple uh as to what happened and if it was the case then he wouldn't just continue to kill random people for dropping keys off at at his house but there are still more things to discuss as like where do you think michael's sense of humor comes from the the humor of the fun house he set up at the end, even making himself one of the exhibits that comes out of a dark closet and attacks. He could have just attacked Lori when she went in the bedroom. He could have just come up the stairs and went at her. But instead, he wanted to come out just like one of the props he set up. Where does he get the the humor for the glasses on a sheet? Uh, to play Bob and have her think that and have her interact with him instead of just walking in, leaping onto the bed, choking her and stabbing her five times. Like, 
so many strange things that he did. Set, setting up the the tombstone, everything. He has he has he thinks way more than than we want to think he does. I think a lot of people kind of like when they think of Michael, they they really put those things to the wayside because they don't want to think of that. People don't want to think of those things when they think of Michael. They love him. They love how he looks. They love his music. They love his atmosphere and his movie. They love... But a lot of people don't want to consider those things when they think of Michael. They they, they want to just kind of forget about it. It's a, it's a weird dynamic. Nobody wants to say, yeah, he's the greatest. Look at the... Look how he... He tore shit up in Haddonfield and then how he set that room and freaked Lori out and had all this stuff ready and Bob swinging down. You know how much effort it takes to do all that? This was this guy's a, a mastermind and, and all this other stuff. And he set it up. He was so calculated the way he just stared at Lori in the classroom. Like, you know, that effort it would take to look through every window until you finally see the girl that dropped the key over your house and then... You could take a step back and stare at her from a distance. Do you know, like, the effort it takes to do everything he did? <laughs> like, but I think people dismiss that. They don't want to think of that. It's kind of like a part of his character that nobody wants to confront or embrace. They just, they're glad it's all there, but nobody wants to address it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he is very high effort, for sure. Yeah, he puts a lot of, and it seeming he it's he seemingly puts a lot of thought into it. Like with the you mentioned the tombstone, and the setting up of the bodies and stuff. And well, this this year for Halloween, uh, our theme for movie watching is Satanic Panic. So I've been watching devil movies all month, and we then of course do a show about. Our, you know, our Halloween specials where we talk about the movies we watch for Halloween. And we just talked about uh, Omen 3. When uh, we were talking about that, Brian brought up that a lot of the deaths in that film, and actually I think in the in all of them, are sort of like Rube Goldberg machines. Kind of, but not to totally to the extent of, but kind of like Final Destination. And that you'll just see little things go, you know, moving into place and being where they need to be to kill somebody. And I was like, well, the, my response to him was, well, the devil likes to have fun. You know? <laughs> and but there is a bit of mischief in that, in, in the way that we f- frequently see the devil portrayed there is a, a bit of mischief. There's some tongue in cheek. There's some sly, you know, like uh, Al Pacino when he played the devil. He had that in there. Um, Robert De Niro, any of the big people who have played devils, there's a little bit of mischief. I don't even know a better word. I, and sly. I kind of feel like, um, yeah, I kind of feel like, yeah, I mean, if he's pure evil, I think there's going to be a little bit of that in there. Thinking about it, I guess it's fair to think that Michael would have this really well pre- like planned and well orchestrated. He has 364 days to come up with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, there, there's <laughs> another topic. We could get away from the fun house and the flower pots he drops and everything else he does and all this stuff. And we can get to... He thought about that November 3rd. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm going to drop some flower pots next year. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why Halloween night? Both times. 
What made him kill his sister on Halloween night? What made them think it would be a great idea to transport him on Halloween night? <laughs> again and again. Well, Four. the uh, that's when the veil is the thinnest. Right, you know the the veil between worlds. So if he is influenced by something, some force somewhere, then that to me would make sense. Yeah. Well, there you go. So I think we could safely say that although, um, trust me, I'm not going with the cult of Thorn here. I think it's safe to say that there was an implication to a method of madness that it's always Halloween night. It, it couldn't just be a coincidence, obviously. I mean, why do both things on Halloween night? He could have killed his sister any night of the week. And then on Halloween, that's when the movie takes place. But to mirror both of these events that way is an entirely different implication. It, it's no longer just, oh, we wanted to name the movie Halloween. Because like I said, you could have done that the night he escaped. And it would be Halloween. It, it's not always the day, the entire run of the movie, which it, it wasn't here. And and the house, why has it not been lived in since it happened? Like, why is that house even there anymore? It's it's useless. Imagine owning this property for 15 years and no one's buying it. Like, <laughs> get rid of this thing. Like, what is it even doing there? I mean, but most neighborhoods have one of those houses, you know? Or at least, if your neighborhood didn't, you probably had a friend who had one. Um, we had one in my neighborhood that was creepy and empty, and it was huge, and we have no idea. We never knew why it was empty or who had ever lived there or if anything had ever happened there, but one day I was walking my dog, and she just ripped the leash out of my hand and ran up that the driveway to that house into the backyard. And she's barking ferociously. And then like two seconds later, she comes running, just hauling ass down the driveway. And she starts running home. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going with her, you know. And then I just, I started running. And then I was running faster than the dog i actually stopped and scooped her up and kept going <laughs> <laughs> that's great i was like i don't know what the hell i'm running from but if my dog is running <laughs> i would have dropped the leash and go good luck <laughs> but you know those we have those houses those spooky houses or like in the monster squad there's scary german guy <laughs> or you know it, it's when your kids you can attach mythology to anything. Yeah. No, and that's another thing, like you're saying, that's what we were going for before, simplicity and relatability. Like, we talked about how what they kind of did in the whole first half of the movie is kind of what we do on our daily life. And you just said one of the aspects of our daily life is we all have a that house in our town, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and there you go. Yeah. So the... The tombstone thing, you know, it's always the big joke. How on earth did he get this thing? Because he didn't dig it out. It's clearly lifted straight up. Now, these yeah. things weigh hundreds of pounds. The one thing people like to cite about this movie is that it's not Halloween 4 and 5 and 6 where Michael has this unbelievable strength and he's just like crushing your head and part four and all that stuff and all this these things that are just 
you know, it's the Jason effect, basically. So what they like about this is that it's it's like real Michael. But then you got this. So what was John Carpenter thinking when he thought it? Like how random, right? Anyway, to do. How would Michael even know to go to this cemetery? How would he know where she's buried? How, or maybe they forced him to go to it just to confront what he's done so he knew where that cemetery was. Maybe they, they brought him there as a kid. Well, how did he know to, to how to find his way home from, yeah. you know, from the hospital? Now, um, he um, obviously no one there is really going to give him driving lessons. And even if they did, it's not like he had GPS. So, you know, do you think he asked for directions? He asked that trucker guy for directions and killed him and took his... Uh... Yeah, the Phelps garage guy, he asked. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A person would say, this is supernatural. It's instinct. It's all instinct. And that's that's one thing I was kind of like, um, in my defense of Halloween Ends, like a lot of the supernatural stuff that goes on there, I was saying, you can't say it didn't happen here. This is all Loomis talks about. All he talks about is that Michael is supernatural. This isn't a man. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless, face and the blackest eyes the devil's eyes I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil everything he said and thank god for Sheriff Brackett right I mean thank god he has someone to <laughs> to pour all this onto right we would miss out on so much Loomisisms without Sheriff Brackett to talk to. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. It's like something to, like, what do you do? Like, Lori talking to herself, K-Kiddo superstition. Like, is that all Loomis is going to do? Stand there and be like, yeah, man, I remember this kid staring at the wall, <laughs> looking past the wall. Man, that was crazy. Oh, boy, I've been standing here a long time. Is he going to show up at his house? Anyway, yeah, so, uh... He has the darkest eyes. The devil's <laughs> eyes, really. Um, <laughs> you know, like, what else would he do? <laughs> I like how Brackett slowly turns on him as the movie gets more frustrated. By the end of the movie, he's like... he like It seems like he's not taking him serious for the first couple parts of it. Right. Then by the time he's sick of dealing with Loomis, he's like, if you let... He is like, if what you're saying is true, damn you for letting him go. <laughs> right. What do you think of the dynamic of Brackett and Loomis? A big, it's like the B plot, right? I mean, the A plot is Lori and her friends. The B plot is Loomis is one step behind all the time. I kind of wondered why they listened to him when he was like, What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. I still think I should notify the radio and television. No. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. I'll check back in an hour. I understand not wanting to uh, cause a panic, but it's like, 
Well, he told his men to keep their eyes open and their mouth shut. So they knew. True. I mean, I guess because, like, I guess if you're thinking when it is announced that happened, you get what happened in, like, Halloween Kills. And then, yeah. So, yep, I'm wrong. Yeah, there you go. Right. And you get that in Halloween, too, when they were throwing rocks at the Myers house. Yep, in Halloween 4 with the uh, Earl, whatever his name is, that gets shot. You shot Earl. Or, yeah. Or, no, wait a minute. Ted Hollister. <laughs> Just think, none of those guys went home that night. Like, they all left the bar, and and that's the last time you'd ever see any of them. They don't. And they, I wonder if they paid their tab before they left. <laughs> I wonder if that woman kept an eye on the register, like, even <laughs> even through the when he was getting murdered. The, what do you think of the kills of this movie? The kills seem to be um, nothing flashy. They're almost secondary. I mean, like, most of the time, it's not very grandiose there's literally two chokings two stabbings one off-screen throat slit and Lori gets an attempted murder with a stabbing and choking mm-hmm. and it's more or less bloodless yeah what do you think do you think that adds like, like i said earlier it's about kind of what you think you saw what you're picturing in your head or how much it like it's it's kind of like when you don't see all the stabs up close or the blood or this or that you're picturing it and what i feel like what you picture is always going to be far worse than what they could make happen right you know what i mean yeah so um that's it, it was very clever the way they did that with the kills and you know i don't know necessarily if they were just like well this is kind of a how we do it at this time and all that stuff, because obviously it was pre like crazy slasher craze. Um, so it just worked. I don't know. I, I think people thought more back then. So it wasn't as dumbed down now to where it's like everything served to you on a silver platter as far as like right. kills go and, and things of that nature. And the crazier, the better. And I mean, right. also it could have been budget. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that they were doing they were doing with what they could. And, you know, every like there's probably people that seen this movie in the theater, like when it was new. And, you know, the movie's so darkly lit and a lot of the kills happen in the shadows that they definitely were like, man, did you see that? Yeah, They saw more in their minds. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like Texas Chainsaw. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. People come out of Texas Chains, oh, that, or even if they've never seen it, they just assume that it's gory. And, you know, then when they watch it, they're like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't that gory at all. Well, yeah, nobody told you it was. You made that assumption. Well, also, you, you look at the um, the chick at the end in the back of the pickup. Well, yeah. And she's, you know, covered in blood and she looks like hell. But yeah, but it's. But that's another that's what I, another thing I like about that film, too, is I like the subtlety of it. The mm-hmm. only kill that I don't like in Halloween, and it's not even that I don't like it on the whole. It's just <laughs> that face that Annie makes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the car. And then she's yep. just like, Ugh. it reminds me of Samantha from Friday Four <laughs> in the raft. And I'm like, oh, like if I and the problem with that is it pulls me out every time mm-hmm. because and it's you know I'm not saying it's not realistic if someone was killing me I don't even have any idea what the hell my face would be doing uh, <laughs> probably something cool. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> probably something worse than that but it just pulls me out every time because it's so 
I don't know. It's like she's like licking the window and you're like. <laughs> she wanted to make sure her last appearance was always like her looking dumb or blinking or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. She has a blink of the next time to show her. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, why didn't John Carpenter do another take? And like, okay, so we're going to choose the wide-eyed look. Or are we going to go with where she was exhausted looking? Are we going to go where she looks like she's in pain? Like, did, did he have multiple takes of this? I, I got to know. <laughs> I would assume he did not have multiple takes. That he, one, took a lot of this stuff and was like, good enough. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And like, All right, we got it. Ch- check the gate. <laughs> Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, again, budget and film is expensive. Oh, yeah. And he used the... Let's talk about the the production of this movie. So he used the greatest film stock available. I think Kodak at the time. Like, he felt the way to make it, this $300,000, $320,000 movie look like a million dollars is it's in... He says it's all in the lighting and the film and the sound. Uh, now, the sound wasn't particularly amazing or anything uh a lot of it a lot of it sounded um sound stagey like boxy like even the dad in the beginning like michael like you could tell he was not standing <laughs> yeah. outside when he said that yeah that was clearly adr <laughs> and uh, i think and i think he was right because good filmmaking can elevate even the dumbest piece of crap mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And bad filmmaking can kill a really good story. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think that's the right thing. I'm glad he took it that seriously and gave it that much care. I, you know, Alex, you were asking something about the kills earlier. And I know this is something we're going to tap into. But I think what makes the kill so brutal and makes it seem so much more than what it is, is not only the anticipation of before it happens when you know something's going to happen, but the cues of musical notes that happen Uh, when a kill strikes makes it seem more brutal than it is. I'm not talking about the music overall, but I'm talking about... Just like... Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's the cues that happen when something like that happens. Like so. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once again, not tapping into the music overall, but just those little cues and those subtleties oh, yeah. make you feel those stabs. Yeah. Like in Halloween Two, it's the. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It sounds. Yeah. But yeah, if you are in another room, if you've seen this movie as much as all of us have. And you can be in another room and you hear a cue and you know exactly what's going on in that movie. Yeah, poor Bob. Yeah. <laughs> pathetic, for sure. <laughs> Trust me. Listen, when I watched Scream 6 and they, as soon as they walked into that dude's apartment, and I'm not comparing Jason Takes Manhattan to Halloween, but when, when he walked into that apartment, within seconds, I knew what was on their TV. Like that's how. So if I if I could figure that out from just a few sounds and noises uh, for Jason Takes Manhattan, then you could bet your ass I know everyone who's dying in this movie. I did the same thing in the theater. I turned to Brian and I was like, "That's Jason Takes Manhattan." Oh wow, <laughs> we're losers. Yep, for sure. <laughs> but uh, I know you weren't exactly going there, but let's go there. Let's uh, the music. <laughs> you know. Um, that's the other thing. So, like I said in the beginning, they made the most out of very little. And I think the way they did that the most was through the music. I mean, good God. Uh, her, uh, Lori just walking across the street to the Wallace house is two different 
planets of things when it's in silence and just wind and leaves compared to that theme while she's walking. Those cold piano keys. You know, you could talk about the music and say everything everybody else said, but I think when people think, what's the greatest horror movie of all time? And they say Halloween... They're thinking of that music. That's that's in one of the forefronts of the backs of their minds when they say that statement. And they say this is the greatest horror movie of all time. Th- something about the music, not only does it sound good, it's cool, it's recorded well, it, it fits. It seems to fit. It marries the screen so amazingly. It really just works with Michael's look. It works with... This, the word Haddonfield, it works with the look of Haddonfield, it works at night, it works during the day, it works with those characters, it's, there's just something about it. I think what's so striking is that it, it almost couldn't not coexist. It, it's almost like it's one. It's one in such a way that it would be a crime if there was any other music in this film. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you know how often I'll be sitting at my desk? It can be, you know, August, July, I don't know, May. And it has nothing to do with Halloween. I'm not thinking about Halloween, nothing. But I'll just be working away at my desk and then I'll catch myself going, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and it's always the same part. I always do the dun, 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 dun. Yeah, always. And then I'll just catch myself doing that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but it just kind of worms its way in. But think about the all the successful uh, scores. You know, the Jaws theme, super simple. Uh, the Omen, now it's a little more complicated, but mainly it just boils down, boils down to, you know, the Dominus. You know, um, Rosemary's Baby is just uh, like a la la la. You know, it's... But it's so it's very simple, but creepy as fuck. And so I think when it is that simple, it can be that much more effective because one, you're not you're not being whatever's going on on screen is not being drowned out by some bombastic crazy score you know it's not creature from the black lagoon right uh, <laughs> or, or uh friday 13 part six when tommy's running through the graveyard yeah <laughs> like listen that fit that i'm not saying it didn't fit it but yeah there's something about the fact that it doesn't it doesn't draw any of your focus away from the screen i think too like something about like the music and like just the main theme alone i was gonna say this how like you know how you guys said it will invoke things in you like Mm -hmm. even when i think of the color orange like i think of that song like if someone was like show me a song that that you associate with the color orange like it would be that like orange and black when i think of orange and black i think of the halloween theme but i think where carpenter's genius and this is hard for uh like musicians is when you can make something on a technical level is complicated, be memorable and all that. Mm-hmm. And like, and sort of the uneasy thing. Cause I think I remember one of the interviews I'd seen with John Carpenter, he was saying his dad, you know, was a, like the bongo player. Yeah. Musician. And he taught him five, four time, which is kind of an odd time measure. And so a person remembering that time measure, just those beats would be a little bit uneasy because most music is done in like four, four or three, four, you know, something that's very simple to clap along to. Whereas like the Halloween theme, I think that being in that time measure alone gives it like its own unease. But it's so catchy that it's like 
memorable, which is kind of even weirder. Like there's very few times where like a song can like that is in those weird time measures becomes like that memorable and that much of a hit. Like I think uh, like the Alice in Chains song, Them Bones, I think, is in is in seven, eight time. And that song is very cool and very catchy. But 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 it's, it's very cool, very catchy. Love it. But it's uneasy if you try to count to it like it's, you know, yeah. Like it's a very uneasy song for people to listen to, but that's what makes you drawn to it because like, and it's the same concept with the Halloween, with the Halloween music and a lot of the music in this movie, like he was such a genius at making the music. And it's like you said, they just meld together on the screen. It's just unreal. Well, I think too, it helps that he scored his own films uh, for the most part, except for the Morricone score from the thing, which actually just sounds like more John Carpenter, but he knew what mood he was going for. He knew what he wanted to happen at what particular time in the film, where he wanted people's emotions to be, how he wanted it to affect them. So when you have the person who not only wrote the film, but directed the film and created the score, it's going to be a perfect marriage if they're good at what they do. And he clearly is. And he knows uh, that to have a successful score, particularly for horror films, because I think that they're the films in which the score really matters the most. Um, I could be biased, but I, I, you know, I truly believe that. I mean, I think if you're watching a romantic comedy, it doesn't really matter what the score is. Like, who's who's, who's paying attention to that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there, you're trying to evoke something from people. It does matter. Yes, it absolutely matters, but he knows how to do it in a way that is so subtle, it creeps its way into your brain without you even realizing it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think, oh, another one that does that is um, The Devil's Candy. And it's not even just the score necessarily, it's the sound design altogether, that there's this like ominous, like, go, like, this <laughs> growling. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. Um, there's this. Have you ever seen it, Aaron? Devil's I have not. Candy? Oh my god, do because um, there's a guy wearing a Metallica shirt in that movie. Yeah, well, the oh, whole I... thing, the whole thing is ba- pretty much based around metal in it to a degree. Wait. And but but metal is not the bad thing. Metal is actually the good thing in this film. Like it's not. It doesn't cause what's happening. Like a, like in a lot of movies, they try to portray metal as evil or whatever uh like trick or treat you know something mm-hmm. like that yeah, yeah, right? yeah. sammy Kerman. in this one um the guy uses metal to try to push the evil away oh it's really it's fucking great it's just fucking great i absolutely love it aaron you know how he pushes the guy away he keeps playing saint anger over and over <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, i'm sorry metallica i love you no, we all do. Yeah, but dude, <laughs> you, so you know it's it's funny because I've always wondered this. Um, for me, and I love John Carpenter. I, I feel like this is his best film, and here's why. Um, I feel like he had all the talent in the world. He had this and that, but he, I feel like he was so young and so hungry. Not that he was going to be a yes man, but that he pretty much was like, I'm going to do everything on this film for whatever they offer me. So that including the directing, the score, the writing, the this and that. And if you notice after that, it wasn't the same. You know what I'm saying? Like when he got more money, more opportunities, like, dude, he made magic with 
nothing. You know what I'm saying? With almost nothing. And like, think about all those things like combined. And it, it had to be that he was a genius that was hungry at the time. Like, it, it, yeah. Some people even like take umbrage that he put his name above the title when when there's so many people who worked on this film. But, you know, in reality, though. It's his fucking movie. Oh, it's his movie. I mean, come on. Yeah. Can you imagine being that much of a Swiss Army knife? Like, of just being able to do that many things? It, like, but he knows. He knows how to do it. He knows what he's doing. Even something as far back, which is my favorite John Carpenter film, is, um, is Assault on Precinct 13. And I love the music for that. Do you know that that's the only reason Loomis even did Halloween? That his daughter loved the music to Assault Precinct 13? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that's why he did Halloween. Huh. No, I didn't either. She goes, oh, I know him. Yeah, that, he did that movie. The music's really amazing. You should do that, this movie. And he goes, oh, okay. And that's why <laughs> That's why he was Loomis. <laughs> Who knew what he was getting in for? <laughs> that's true. Six movies later. <laughs> He's like, and he oh, has God. a Cocoa Puff on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Looked like he was related to Lemmy. <laughs> No, he needs four more, I think, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell me Lemmy never had enough money to get rid of that. Thing. I know. That always bothers me, that people don't do this. That is insane. <laughs> no, my Molly Russell's wart. <laughs> yeah, Molly Russell's wart. Uh, have a, here's, a, here's a quarter. Have that a rat and all that thing off your face. <laughs> The motivation of Michael is always a, a curiosity here, right? Like, you know, even even though we're not going to figure it out, we could speculate on why did Michael not kill Annie in in the laundry room? There's so many strange questions. Like, people always joke that why – or no, no, when he was at his house and Lori walked away singing that song, why didn't he just walk up to her and choke her out? And I think the reason there is because – It's because the fixation kind of just started there. I don't think he knew he was going to kill Lori at the time. I just think he was fixated. And I think the only way he knows how to purge fixations is through murder. I think that's his only way to connect with people. People, a lot of times, they think of a knife as like a phallic object and stuff like that. But in the reality, it is really his only connection with other people, right? I mean, as morbid as that sounds, like, what else does he know how to to do, seemingly, right? I mean, not to this point. He's lived his whole life as a six-year-old being, from what we could assume, normal. I mean, his parents seemed surprised enough at the prospect that he had a knife in his hand and there's blood all over it. So, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, you sounded just like him. Yeah, that was amazing. Do that again. <laughs> Michael? Oh that is so perfect. Hold on, I want to hear what his father said next. Go. Michael? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Whose blood is that? <laughs> I don't know. What the hell does he say next, right? Like, what the fuck are you doing with a knife in your hand, bro? Now, now I know. <laughs> Where's your sister? Yeah, now you know. The thing you always wondered, what do they say next? Um, and what did the mom say, standing there like a fucking dummy? She's like, she's just standing there with that stupid look on her face. She she doesn't, they couldn't even get somebody to actually emote 
Like, they just got some dumb broad who just stood there. With her hands in her pockets. <laughs> right. Yep. Like, like, ah, you little shit. <laughs> yeah, her hands were in her pockets. That's like something, someone getting killed in in the center of town and everybody's standing around watching and a guy's taking a bite into a sandwich. Like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> like, come on. Let's give a little bit of something here. Come on. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> She's just standing there. Um, so, like, so you ask these weird questions and or you ponder them. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just the weirdo who thinks these things. Like, why did Michael stalk everybody to the extent that he did? And I think the biggest standout is Tommy Doyle. Like, getting in, watching him with the kids and then bumping into Lonnie and then getting into a car and just driving alongside of him. Uh, Tommy was standing on the sidewalk outside of his house when Lori went up to drop the key off. Maybe he, uh, you know, recognized him there. And he's like, hmm, he goes, he might go where she goes. I don't know, but. Oh, that's a good point. Or maybe he saw himself in Tommy. They do kind of look similar. Tommy kind of looks like Michael, young Michael, right? See, I always thought that, that he saw himself in Tommy, always. Oh, maybe he does. And maybe he was, well, I mean, he was only six, but I was going to say maybe he had a Lonnie that bullied him and, and, uh, you know, when he saw what they did to him with the pumpkin or whatever, maybe it fascinated him, but I don't, I mean, I don't know. What, how long was he waiting in that closet for Bob? <laughs> Not knowing that anybody was going to come open that closet, you know? Yeah, they're having sex. Why would you wait down there? Why wouldn't you go up there and do a double impalement kill or something? Like, the, it's it's very strange. Um, but there's a lot of stalking and observation. Like, endlessly staring at Annie in the Wallace house between the spilling the butter, the phone call, standing in that big doorway, standing in the other one where he drops the plant. So she knows someone's out there. He he wanted to evoke fear in her. And and the strange thing is he didn't. She really has no reaction to that flower pot smashing. Like she looks over and then kind of squints and is over it. And mm-hmm. then immediately after this happens, within seconds, the dog is barking from that same area that you heard this. And all you say is, come get your dog, he's annoying me. And then when he goes, arr, 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 you go, never mind, I guess he found a hot date. Like, honey, are you stupid? <laughs> she might be. I don't know. <laughs> There's like 50 red flags here. Maybe they thought it was just typical Halloween stuff, like with those sounds, oh. people making noises, stuff like that, that they were a little less on alert. I mean, that's true too. Yeah, and like if she thought kids were vandalizing her house for mischief night, she probably thought, well, it's not my house. But it wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't have been though. That was Devil's Night was the night before. Oh, yeah. Or okay. or mischief, mischief night. night. I don't know, depending on where you are, but Right, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of observing and a lot of stalking and I wonder what he couldn't have been observing his prey to to better get them, right? I mean, it's not that complicated. You know, there's so many people that say, like, oh, it's a sexual thing for him and all that stuff. And it's like, if you put yourself in that kind of situation, like, 
you're never just like push for you push for me we're done like some people like really really like making it a long process and all that stuff you know like at least at least six minutes no i'm just but uh or it's like foreplay yeah yeah exactly exactly it's like something to where it's like he would do himself a disservice if he just you know jumped in while they were screwing and stabbed him both right then and there like i think it's like a little more calculated a little bit more of that kind of fun artful game if he like elongates it a little bit no i think you nailed it with game i think that he just like he uh we were talking about him being artistic with his stuff earlier and you know being a little mischievous like with the ghost costume maybe he i mean because when seriously uh he went to the linen closet pulled out a sheet cut some holes <laughs> took bob's glasses <laughs> and he's like this is gonna be great <laughs> um but i mean yeah maybe it maybe it all just is a game to him and it's you know i don't know um like this is his way of playing with the other kids yeah like he's yeah maybe he's like edging himself yeah you know? yeah like you, you don't want it to be over that quick no exactly i always gotta yeah. back off i'm having too much fun here do you think just like just like after we all come and we see that the the porn's still playing on our phone we're like oh my god it's disgusting do you think he's that oh. way after the kills them <laughs> when i was a kid or no when i was like a teenager i used to when i was done i used to take the vhs out of the thing and throw it in the corner and be like this is disgusting <laughs> oh my god and then the next day i was like are you okay are you okay i'm sorry <laughs> There was a guy that I dated for a while that after I couldn't even stand to look at him. I was just like, I don't want to. It didn't last that long. Uh, I mean, the relationship didn't last that long. But it's it's like, you know, when you're in that, it's so bizarre. But when you're in that heightened sense, that, that pre-orgasm, you know, everything is amazing. Oh, everything, everything feels good. Everything is, you know, it's just like, oh, and you'll do anything. You'll try anything, you know, because you're just in that. Well, maybe not anything, but, you know, you're just in that mode. But then, like, once it's over, you're like, Ugh. like, I don't want <laughs> like, sure, not necessarily, not necessarily that bad. But at what you said about the porn on your phone, I think that is like. That's the perfect way to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) He gets he gets done stabbing people and he's like, like get out of here. But like I guess he really doesn't. He admires his work. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, do you think Lindsay's parents would be okay with the fact that her babysitter just dropped their child off at another house with a different high school kid? (laughs) The seventies. Yeah, the seventies, man. They probably they probably would be more because like Lori like was probably they, Lori was probably the babysitter they wanted. They settled, <laughs> yeah, because they knew she was watching Tommy. Or, yeah, or settled for Annie, and they were like, "Oh, cool!" They're like, if we get if we get with Annie, there's still a shot that we can like get Lori to be our babysitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at look at Lori being like she said, the good girl scout comes through again, boy. I guess I, I want to save like the the end of this for the end. Everything. Basically, from Lori walking across the street and the rest. So, do you guys have anything to say about anything prior to that? Uh, the cat and mouse with Loomis and um, 
Michael, I always thought was funny. Like when uh, Loomis is standing there and uh, Michael just drives right behind him. <laughs> like he looks like it looks yeah. like such a Looney Tunes moment. Like, yeah, he's all, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> he's right <laughs> behind sneak, you. The sneaky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. even like Michael driving, following those girls, like, dude, stay a block or two behind them. I mean, Jesus Christ, man, you're like. When I- when I watched this movie when I was young, I remember paying so much attention, probably more than I should have, to when Michael's driving after he runs into Tommy and he's sort of following him or whatever. Um, I always thought, because like I always watch Michael's like left hand while he's driving it, he looks so natural driving. Like 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 you would think he really was driving for years. Like like he's not like a he's not too intent in it. Like if you watch, he's just like it seems like he's got one hand. He's got like the thumb relaxed, and he's just like <laughs> he has he has the one hand on the at twelve o'clock. The other hand's like leaned out the window. He's like <laughs> he's like pumping music. He's like yeah. He's driving with his knees. <laughs> he's texting. He's been in the penitentiary for like 15 years or whatever. He's probably like, damn, this is power steering and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is great. My dad's car didn't have any. He had racket peanut steering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> racket. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. When did he go in? 1963? 1963, they didn't even have air conditioning, uh, except you could get an air conditioner for some cars, but it was mm-hmm. an extra thing and it was huge. Um, so yeah, I mean he's in a car in '78. He's like, man, this is sweet. Yeah, it's like Jesus. <laughs> Plus they were huge. The front of those cars, from the windshield to the headlights, it was like eight feet of car. <laughs> I was like, what are these things? Um, I did observe this this time around. Did you notice? I don't. Um, damn, I wish I thought of like, like exactly what happens, but I think it's the the, the two girls driving. There's a point where you see them drive away towards sort of like the upper right of the screen or something. And you see him following Annie and Lori. And you see Annie put the blinker on to make a right. And Michael doesn't use a blinker. Oh, I never noticed that. And I thought that spoke volumes because that is perfect. Michael is not... See a driver of any, like you said, comfort zone of any way. Him putting a blinker on would have been preposterous. So the fact that they actually paid attention to that detail and he just didn't do that. And he just, it's not because he, he's from New Jersey. He just didn't do it because. <laughs> uh, kidding. No, but. Or Michigan. <laughs> yeah. But they don't use blinkers there either. Okay. But, but that, that is such a great little detail to to put there but I just want to put not that this is life changing um one thing I've always wondered about his escape like we don't you know when Rob Zombie did it he killed a bunch of people and made a big mess okay as far as we know he didn't hurt anyone at the hospital like I had never heard anyone say that he hurt anyone but he also all the other prisoners were just prisoners uh, patients were just wandering around like what was did he just go through and unlock everybody's door? Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, or... I think I think he created mass panic. That way, it would be easier oh, for him so to slip away. So he could get away. Yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Wow, talk about Occam's razor. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, I just I can't believe I never put that together. 
Oh, yeah. I was just always like, maybe he, you know, he got out. He felt bad for all of them. So <laughs> let them out, too. But he's like, you know, like in, a, in a movie about a dog escaping from the pound, they'll always let all the other uh, other dogs out. I don't know. But, yeah, that makes total sense. And I'm a dumbass. Thank you. Very no, much. the best time to escape <laughs> is during a prison riot. Right. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Also during rainstorm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How like how lucky were they when they made this movie on the low budget that they were able to shoot that scene when it was raining and stuff like that? Because like, you know, they shot it in California and I was think I was thinking about that when I was watching this the other night. Like they got so lucky on that that it just worked that way because the mood of that scene is fantastic with the rain and with them traveling in it and all that stuff. Oh, it's brilliant. No, it is. Yeah. And you're right. You you rarely get especially torrential downpours like that in California. Yeah. yeah. And 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 Loomis is already from jump. I mean, he is dishing it out, man. He's like <laughs> never, never, never. It. You think we refer to it as him if you say so. Like right away, you're set up to think what has happened in these 15 years. You ever done anything like this before? Only minimum security. I see. The driveway's a few hundred yards up on the right. The only thing that ever bothers me is their gibberish. When they start raving on and on and on. You haven't anything to worry about. He hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. Are there any special instructions? Just try to understand what we're dealing with here. Don't underestimate it. Don't you think we could refer to it as him? If you say so. Your compassion's overwhelming, Doctor. What do I give him when we take him in front of the judge? Thorazine. He'll barely be able to sit up. That's the idea. You're serious about it, aren't you? Yeah. You mean you actually never want him to get out? Never, never. Never. Then why are we taking him up to Hardin County if you're just going to Because walk that is the law. What went on in those 15 or eight years, wherever the first <laughs> yeah. were, right? And then, then it's like, but he didn't move. He didn't say a word. He didn't do anything. Like, did he, did he spend eight hours a day trying to talk to him? Like for all these years, like, he's like, Michael, you, 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 you gotta say something. You gotta give me something here. I mean, it's been like three years. I mean, do you have anything to say about this? <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he's coming and he's trying to bribe Michael, like with food and some, mm. I got this pizza. Too bad I got to eat it on my own. (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese sounds fun right about now, eh, Michael? It's uh, it's an hour away. Of course Aaron's going to use pizza as a bribe. Of course. (laughs) That and, uh, what is that? PB Crisps. Hey, Michael, when's the last time you had one of these? Fucking start talking like a motherfucker. Uh, He's like, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, so yeah, she was a bitch. I killed her. I I, I don't know. How, How many do I get?
that's what you get, <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he killed his sister. Imagine when he was done killing his sister, he said, that's what you get, you fucking bitch. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Michael would be so much cooler if he said that. Oh, God. But, uh, yeah, it's fascinating, and then it it almost isn't fascinating, because then he says he didn't do anything. He just stared at the wall. Like, I don't know, I was kind of hoping. And then when you hear things like that, I always think of the dumb shit like, well, did he go to the bathroom? Did he eat? Did he uh, sneeze? Did he get sick? Did he... (laughs) There's got to be other things. Did he toot? Yeah. Did he have to go pee every, like, two hours? Did he drink soda all day? Like... He did something. You can't tell me he just sat there. So it, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what else did he do? Like, did on his birthday, did anyone come in there and like, here's a cake or anything like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, did he blow out the candles at least? Yeah, like, I still really want to know. Like, I, they're, like, I would give anything for like a spinoff movie of just Loomis. And to like, even know what he was like on the rest of that car ride. Was he only talking about Michael the whole time? Or was he like... <laughs> like talking about anything else to this like nurse at all they put they leave and he's talking about michael they pull up to where they're going and he's like and then he just he just kept staring (laughs) he's like will you put the goddamn cigarette out or roll down a window can you imagine taking a two-hour car ride with this asshole and all he's got to talk about is 15 years of a kid staring. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, you're making all. It sounds like you're making a whole lot of something out of nothing here. He's he just. You know, Loomis is secretly really lazy. Like, he just looked like he scored the perfect patient with Michael, but, like, he needed to, like, play off to everybody. Oh, yeah, this kid's a handful, so I got. We got to continue funding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of questions here with this guy. And look at Marion. If you pay attention to her, she's smoking, like, obviously right away. And then she lights another cigarette before they even pull up to the goddamn gate. I think she forgot <laughs> to put the first one out. And she was already smoking the second one. And the other one was in her other hand. I don't know. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was just that was just an amazing moment. Uh, some people point out the, the cheesy delivery of, he's gone, the evil's gone, he's gone, you know, all that. Um, Yeah, but you know what? It was kind of... Not fantastic writing. He, it, it wasn't really that natural of a line to deliver, so I think he did pretty good. I just wish he would have been like, damn, son of a bitch had a wrench. <laughs> yeah, do you see that? <laughs> he had a wrench in his hand when it smashes the window. It's funny, when I was younger, I used to, because, yeah, I remember, as things got better technology-wise, course, 4K, yeah. DVD, whatever, I used to think that was like um, a, a round rubber-like plunger thing that when he hit it just didn't hurt him yeah i I never even noticed it i never noticed it until blu-ray and then it was pointed out like in a commentary somewhere or something i i didn't notice it until like blu-ray dvd era and all that stuff because i had it on vhs and like it just looked like a round rubber thing didn't it I, I didn't even think it was around. I thought it was just like a weird light reflection or something oh. like that. Like, I, that's what it always looked like to me. But it's so clear on the the Blu-ray. Oh, like, God, oh, it's clear. Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah, hell, hell, that's a three. I mean, I think, like, I think the whole time I was looking at Marion, I don't even think I ever even looked at his hand. Wow. Um. So did you notice the kids skipping the Wallace house, uh, even though there was a big jack-o'-lantern on the front porch? 
on Halloween night <laughs> when Michael walks up to that tree and then the parents are like, all right, well, get her to bed by nine or whatever. A bunch of kids walk right past the house and they're trick or treating. Maybe they already went the other way and got that house. Damn it, Jamie. Come on. I'm trying to make something. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I don't want to pick it apart too much because I know there's a little bit of it, but it's very small. But like at the prime time of trick or treating, like the kids in this town, they suck. Yeah, they never ring anyone's doorbell. Because, yeah, normally it's like doorbells are ringing nonstop. Like I'm, I have to hide and pretend I'm not there most of the time. Like when it's when that's going on, like. Don't you think that's strange that they never they don't have any scenes where either of these homes open the door to any group of kids like what a great opportunity and i don't think it ever happens in any of these halloween movies right like oh i guess in part four sort of i guess you could say at least they took jamie trick-or-treating but like in halloween why wouldn't you have a scene where they're watching tv and you get interrupted by the doorbell ringing and then you get to see all these cool masks and see laurie and then maybe she looks out in a distance and sees like michael walking in the yard behind the wallace house or something like there's so many things that could have been done yeah i mean i think it probably does boil down to like a big budget thing too but like i mean clearly in like in 2018 they rectified because like I mean, oh, yeah. and and, there, and there's definitely certain areas, like in my town, for example, where tr- like people are like, oh, we're going to this neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So like a neighborhood that I live in maybe won't be as like packed and stuff, so people just don't go there. But like, it's one of those things where those neighborhoods that people go to look the way it looked in 2018, like it's where it's just like <laughs> a madhouse. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And- Michael could hardly walk through without bumping into people. He did bump into kids actually. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't kill him. He did bump into him. <laughs> so this dog thing, real quick. Everybody likes to to go after the dog thing, especially Michael. Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna say real quick. I said this in in other reviews. The dog, maybe he got hungry. Um, I absolutely think he meant hungry for the bloodlust. He wanted to kill. And I guess that was the first live thing he encountered or something along those lines. I don't think Michael is consuming a raw dog. I don't think he's that far gone. Raw dog. You don't think it was a skunk? <laughs> Maybe a skunk. <laughs> this isn't a man. I've never seen a skunk that vicious. I mean, <laughs> Maybe you know, it was a skunk. Our dog encounters skunks all the time because she has no learning curve or had no learning curve. She's not with us any longer. But she used to always run into skunks. They never did anything vicious. They just always sprayed her. I would have preferred if they tried to whoop her ass because at least then I wouldn't have to bathe her in peroxide. Yeah, they're not going to rip her belly open. (laughs) Do you guys disagree with that? Do you actually think he he consumed this thing? I, you know, I never thought about it till there then, but I kind of always thought he consumed it. I always thought he ate it. But why would he? He was in, he lived a pretty civilized life. He was in a, a mental institution for 15 years. He's not like a savage. I mean, if the fucking food at the mental institution is anything like at a hospital, the best thing's the jello. <laughs> like, he probably just was like craving something normal. No, I, I actually don't know. Like, I always thought it was one of those things like he ate dog and you know uh loomis said he got hungry and it was uh a thing to show him. he's like we're not dealing with a man we're not dealing with a man like kind of deal but then again he didn't just go like 
Because, like, when he killed the fucking Wallace dog, he didn't just bite and, like, dig in afterwards. So, yeah, he, you're probably <laughs> right. He probably did just kill <laughs> Takes off the mask. All right. <laughs> Dude, how hilarious would it be if when the dog's legs came down, he heard... <laughs> <laughs> and you just heard him chewing for the next, like, two minutes. Oh, my God. So dumb. I don't know. What what did that hobo feed him in Halloween 5? Um, Hot dog meat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's always got to be a dog related. Um, soup. Yeah. Well, see, what I assume that in Halloween five. Oh God, I hate that movie. But I assume that anyone like it. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone. You said, "Does anyone?" Li- I don't think anybody likes yeah. that movie. But he was dormant, like right? Didn't he? The on Halloween when he got up and killed the guy, wasn't that the first? Wasn't that like the first time he was conscious? Uh, I believe. Yeah, I don't think he had woke up between the two days. Yeah, I, I think... think what they were going for is that he was dormant until Halloween, <laughs> like from Halloween to Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always thought he was uh, getting like the dude just kind of nursed him for a year and was like, I'll wake up eventually. Like... <laughs> yeah, I think. Do I think he did as much as he did in the in the Smith's Grove. Nothing. Right. He just laid there. <laughs> and I do think it was incredibly rude of him to kill that man. But yeah, he's like, know. "Thanks for helping me for the past year." <laughs> like Jesus Christ, dude. So, do you guys think that Michael, like, you know, going back to him killing his sister? Because I've always liked the idea that he had a very normal childhood and relationship, and like with the sister, even and all that stuff, and just had a very normal family dynamic. I don't like to think that, like. You, like, you know, we were talking about earlier, like, maybe the boyfriend picked on him for this or that. I don't like to think of the Rob Zombie thing where they had, like, the crappy stepdad and the, the, the all the other stuff and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't like to think of that. I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think uh, the, you could tell by the look of the parents, the look of the house. Uh, it was a nice house. They had apples in the bowl on the table. I mean, they weren't, like, animals or anything. They, they seemed pretty sophisticated, nice people. They were done up nice. The parents were out somewhere nice. Came home. I don't know. Well, even the way, like, his sister says, Michael somewhere, like, seemed, like, pretty pleasant. <laughs> as funny as that sounds. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I... Yeah, just because he killed two dogs in one movie doesn't mean, uh, he had a wild childhood. <laughs> 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 two dogs. He killed two dogs. That's so weird. Yeah. They never mentioned yes, that. And when they talk never about... killed a dog. Yeah, they never mention that uh, Michael kills dogs when they talk about his kill count and all that. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, there's two. <laughs> there's more. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it becomes more. Um, thank God they didn't do that in Halloween, too. Thank God they just, like, were like, no way, we're not doing that. So, have you guys seen anything about the Halloween TV cut? Mm-hmm. So, they shot scenes for TV because when they play things on TV, they have to fill the full two hours between cutting down parts of the movie it didn't fit that even with a ton of commercials so they had a they convinced John Carpenter to shoot extra scenes while he was shooting Halloween 2 when he was doing like those scenes that Rick Rosenthal didn't do yeah they chose Loomis and when he's trying to keep him locked up saying he's not ready he shouldn't be out he's not ready he's not good to leave to minimum security or whatever they were doing and then they made a scene where Michael walked in in Smith's Grove while he's a kid staring at the window and he says you fooled them all haven't you Michael 
Then you got a scene where Michael trashes his room and writes sister on the door, and that's mm. obviously just John Carpenter just tying up loose ends to the new changes he made in his next movie. Then there's the scene where, like, Linda says she saw Michael, because that's interesting. Linda's about the only person Michael didn't stalk. Yes, yes. So it's weird that they said, well, that can't happen. He he stalked Tommy, he stalked Annie, Lori, obviously, but no Linda. For some reason, Michael had zero interest in her. I'll give you a a small bit of horror trivia. Um, Do you know on that scene, I'd read this years ago, so if there's a fact checker out there, like um, someone might fact check this to know that this is true. Uh, But that scene that they shot with uh, Linda and Lori there for that TV cut was shot inside the actual interior of the Elm Street house. Oh, wow. Oh, whoa. You mean the part where they're talking about the shirt? And, yes. And, okay. Yeah, I remember reading that, that they actually shot that in the interior of the Elm Street house, which, like, if you've ever been out that way, it makes total sense because, like, you could walk right from Haddonfield, like, where the Wallace house and the Doyle house is. Oh, to it? Like, yeah, to to it pretty easily. Like, I mean, they're probably within, within half a mile of each other. And you could also walk to Pee Wee's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh... The, the, a bunch of those movie houses are like within walking vicinity and distances from each other. I'm so glad you said this. Do you know that Wallace House is in Back to School of Ronnie Dangerfield? I think I did know that. You might have been the one to tell me that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I might have. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Why do they keep going to this area? Pee Wee's Big Adventure, uh, Back to School, Halloween, Nightmare. It's like. So many movies keep something about that Pasadena. People really, it just it it has that middle America look. I mean, yeah, you, it can it can be anywhere, yeah. pretty much. Um, there's that <laughs> set, that neighborhood set that they used in Fright Night. That set is in so many '80s movies that like. If you uh, like, if you watch Fright Night, and then I forget what the other movie I watched right behind it, just by chance, the it was like it was like maybe it might have been, but it was like two houses down from the house that Charlie lived in in Fright Night, and I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> it was wow. really surreal. But um, if you ever watch Sean Clark, um, uh, he does Horrors Hallowed Grounds. Oh yeah. Um, you learn so much stuff um, when he does filming locations about things that were used in multiple movies and, you know, how they use the inside of this house, but the outside of this house. Right. And, like, it's so cool. I love that shit. One amazing one, Sean Clark pointed out, <clears throat> was that the Wallace house, when you walk in the front door, there's nothing There's nothing to the right of that house. You could You could see that from the outside. Yet when Linda goes in that house, her and Bob go to the right and lay on the couch. Yeah, that huge living room area. Yeah, that's not there. And the other cool thing is... Huh, never paid attention. The scene where Lori is throwing the flower pot at the house and trying to get in, the doorknob is on the right, but when Tommy yes. opens it, it's on the his right. His right, yeah. That I did notice. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Um. So, yeah. So, yeah, so these these TV cut scenes, do you think it's... I mean, I guess they didn't make terrible choices, but 
wouldn't you have liked to see like other things filled in blanks like that were off screen in Halloween like maybe Michael getting his mask like when he broke into the hardware store or like when he got his jumpsuit and he killed the garage guy or like him stealing the tombstone <laughs> or I know they never do that <laughs> but like I want to hear the end of that story oh yeah maybe Charlie Bowles I would have loved to see Michael Phil- <laughs> and he sees like it takes 45 minutes he's so tired he's leaning over the tombstone he's like oh, Christ he lays on the ground face flat like <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like walking through town with the, the yeah with it with it like on his back just like <laughs> yeah like what did he do he got like uh, uh, like those red wagon that kids yeah. used to play did he like put it in there and just walk into the house I like to think he took the tombstone and then, like, took it with him to the hardware store and, like, that's how he broke in. <laughs> yeah, he banged it against a window and just got in. Um, him dressing up in the ghost sheet, like, Bob. Like, there's so many things that you just would like to see that they didn't uh, attempt with that. Who buys their Halloween masks at a hardware store? Have you ever done that? No. No. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just Michael. I'd like to think that, like, the Halloween masks, like, do you remember the shitty masks that Dr. Chalice gives his kids in oh, Halloween? Yeah. Yes. Like, face that off. would be something that I feel like they would sell at a hardware store, like. Yeah, not that nice William Shatner mask. Yeah. I wonder if Michael was a Star Trek fan. When was he locked up? <laughs> 63. What would you be going as if you if you had that Halloween mask? Because I would I guess Ben Tramer got the same one, right? So... You're something. Like, what are what are you dressed as if you took that mask out of a hardware store or whatever? Like, I always wondered that. Like, what was this mass-produced mask supposed to be? Yeah, what did Ben Tramer tell his friends he was? Maybe they were going as that guy from Scooby-Doo, the one who you always see him in the opening credits. Oh, yeah. He's, like, standing by the barrel. Right, 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 right. He always guy. reminded me. When I was a kid, I always thought that was supposed to be Michael Myers. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't know. Unless it's maybe it's a blank mask that you're supposed to decorate. Maybe, uh, yeah. Because yeah. they do have those. You know, you can decorate them however, like paint them or whatever. Maybe it's something like that. But yeah, I have no idea. Or maybe, maybe he's a big fan of Devil's Reign because <laughs> that exact mask is worn by, well, not the exact one, but... That same mask is worn by my, um, William Shatner in Devil's Reign. Hmm. Um, now, I don't know if it's the same mold or anything like that, but I mean, it's his face. How, you know, <laughs> how varied would it be? But if you ever watched The Devil's Reign, which was from, I think, 1971, could be 71 or 75. 75. Was it 75? Yeah. Okay. There's a, um, like, his face. Uh, well, well, the devil people, they, they have no eyes. And then later on, their faces melt. And there's the mask that William Shatner is wearing. Yeah, looks his exactly own, yeah. like the Halloween mask. Only it's not white. It's flesh colored. But it's natural color. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it looks the same. Yeah. yeah it's 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 wild. Um, yeah. So as far as Michael's look, you know, we talked that um, his hair looks pretty cool. The way it's like ripped off the sides. I like the. The white, it's it's not like a, a flat white like Halloween 4. It actually mm-hmm. has texture to it, and it looks nice. Um, but I yeah. will say this. I hate to say something bad about the movie. We have to. 
You have to. Um, that mask doesn't look that great in every shot. There's a couple shots stuck out to me as like, ugh. And two of them are, are with Annie, and it makes me wonder if somebody else wore the mask for those scenes and stretched it out wrong. Because if you look at Michael when she's doing the laundry behind, like, the curtain on the door, his mask does not look good. It's like somebody with a longer face is wearing it. And I, th- I feel like I kind of got that vibe <clears throat> when she's in the kitchen also. Huh. I never paid attention. Yeah, I hope I didn't ruin it for anybody, but yeah. Well, I know but Nick like, Castle well, wore who had a, he had a real long face. I said. know. Who could have a longer face? How could anybody have warped it? <laughs> well, and you know when uh, when Dick Warlock wore it in Halloween two, it was rounder and wider because right. same mask, but they just shoved it over his face, which or his you know which is exactly. his head is a little rounder and wider you know it, so and that's the and that always bothers me right. um i love halloween too i absolutely love it uh even with the whole sister thing but it to me is very obvious that it it isn't the same yeah and if you if you've wore one of those masks like one of the legit ones that are like pulled from like a kirk mold or whatever mm-hmm. they are small i mean they're small because it was supposed to be a kid's mask um in fact, Alex, that one I sent you that I mailed you that we did in the little short film. Yeah, I wear it every year. A, yeah, that one, I had to tape the mouth back because the guy that was wearing it in our short film. I saw it broke. Yeah, it was so small on him that it ended up breaking right there. So, like, before I'd sent you, before I'd sent it <laughs> off to you, I think I put pieces, of, we put pieces of tape in there to finish out the filming. Yeah, no, I cut my cheek. Thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I wear that every year when I do my, because it's better than the one I had. So, and I figured I'll tribute Aaron while I'm doing my Halloween thing. I bring our worlds together. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wear it every year now. I'm not afraid. Bull. I'm not. Then go in. Chicken. Go ahead, Lonnie. Hey, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Yeah. Nothing's going on except kids playing pranks, trick-or-treating, parking, getting high. I have the feeling that you're way off on this. You have the wrong feeling. You're not doing very much to prove me wrong. What more do you need? Well, it's going to take more than fancy talk to keep me up all night crawling around these bushes. I, I, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night, inhumanly patient, waiting for some secret, silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can either ignore it or you can help me to stop it. More fancy talk. Doctor, do you know what Haddonfield is? Families, children, all lined up in rows up and down these streets. You're telling me they're lined up for a slaughterhouse? They could be. All right, I'll stay with you tonight. Just in the chance that you're right. And if you are right, damn you for letting him go. Yeah, so we pretty much tackled everything here. So I guess it's time for the final act. Michael... We talked about him. Well, we didn't go into depth, but he killed Linda, the telephone cord. Interesting that uh, Lori was there to listen to it and thought she was just like uh, having sex or something. And then she had 
Annie's famous chewing, now your famous squealing. So that was a nice tie-in. It was all flowing pretty well. Um, we got a lot of Loomis, Loomisisms throughout. Um, him hanging by the Myers house for way too long. <laughs> all that kind of good stuff. Um, so now we get to Lori coming in. You got the fun house. Like I said, Michael made himself a part of the exhibit. Comes out of that closet in beautiful cinematic fashion. I mean, the way they turned the dimmer up and lit the mask. And something else you couldn't really see on before high def. Um, like it just didn't have the same effect. Mm-mm. But when mm-hmm. you watch it in high definition, or even like if you go to the movies and see it, which I think we've all done at some point, you can definitely, it, it's so much more impactful when it goes from black to just slowly lighting them up. I, like that was so perfect. Perfect. Dean Cundy is a, a, a genius. Yeah, John Carpenter had great people with him. Tommy Lee Wallace, Dean Cundy. Um, they had a hell of a crew. I love show. Like I said, that is such a experience kind of movie um, because of those parts. Exactly. Because like if you can get people to concentrate on it and live in it and not be on their phones or distracted by other things going on. So it's almost like the theatrical experience lends into it. And I'm like, I'm like you, Alex, I, I save it till the month of October. Oh yeah. It's an event for me, man. This is not going to be a movie I watch all year. Hell no. Yeah. No, it's, I love the, I love the anticipation of watching any of these Halloween movies. Savor it. Yeah. Savor it. I just don't get it. It's like eating filet mignon every night. Like pretty soon it's just meat. But mm-hmm. if you have it like once every like four months, it's amazing. Oddly, he stabs. Do you think he meant to stab Lori and only hit her arm? Did she did she move or something when he stabbed her? Or was she pretty still when he came down with that knife? Pretty interesting that he was so off target. What do you think? I mean, listen, he's not like a, a, a amazing killer or anything. He, he was locked up for all this time. He's not like so great at it. He didn't have he didn't have any real challenges yet. He just kind of choked Bob up against the wall, stabbed him. He he strangled a girl with a cord and he reached around and choked a girl. I mean, he's not like some master, uh, you know. Right, he's clumsy. Yeah, he's clumsy. Yeah. So it it's not out of the realm that he would have kind of missed more or less and just sliced her arm. She falls down a flight of stairs without going down the stairs. She goes from the top to the bottom. <laughs> like, oh my God. So now you add an element of a lame duck on top of it. So now it's like, oh God, not only is he here, not only did he stab her, but now she can't even really run. That's okay, because neither does he. <laughs> there you go. He moves much faster, though. He moves like at a, a calculated speed. And how about the, the moment when he's walking down the stairs and the bars on the stairs pass through his mask? The lighting of the bars. Oh, yeah. Love it. Isn't that amazing? Um, that's like setting up a shot, that, if, if there ever was one. That's great. So then you get to the kitchen. And now, and I asked my wife this um, this week, and I said, when she comes in that house and that door is like open, when she walks through that the kitchen or whatever... Um, she closes it. At what point does Michael go and put the rake in the doorknob? And then how does he get back in the house? And she said, at that point, you say something like, he probably has a window open somewhere. He planned this. She got in. He just crawled back in the window. 
and that's it. And then he went upstairs and went in that closet while she was observing all that stuff. He has to move pretty quick to do that, but okay, fine. <laughs> so you get so she tries to get out. She's breaking that window. The way he punches through that door is so animalistic and violent. It's not like a a, a man does it. Did mm-hmm. you did you ever pick up on that? Like I picked up on that when I was a kid. He when the way he busts through that door, it's not like a guy would do it. Like we would first do the shoulder thing a few times, then we'd kind of pound it with the bottom of our, like a by, by the pinky part of our fist, like pounding on it. The way he punches through that door and the way it goes through and he grabs the handle. He knew he was going to do it. Like when you or I would do it, like we're talking about like on the bottom end, like we're kind of like trying to avoid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, He's just he he knows it's going to happen. Mm. Right. The sound of the punches, everything, the way it's 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 filmed. Amazing. So scary. It's so tense Um, from the moment he comes through that door. To the moment she gets out the glass door and then running across the street and she's hobbling and this and that. And then the neighbors suck. And then she just keeps <laughs> going. And and he just looks – he's just on it with a purpose. Like it feels so unsafe. Can't you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to compliment that whole moment. So, you know, and usually in a movie – let's cite Friday the 13th Part 2. You know what's so great about Jason killing Deputy Winslow with the hammer on the head? What it does is it takes the protection away from those kids because now the cop who was kind of in the area who could kind of get a, a handle on things, he's gone now. So it's kind of although he was like their hindrance in ways, he was also their protection. Like he even saw Jason and went to the cabin. Like he was on it, like a bonnet. And when mm-hmm. he's killed, that takes away that element. Now they're out in the middle of nowhere with really no one to come and save them. That is a whole element that hopefully everybody picks up on in Friday too when that happens. But they probably don't. They probably just think of it as like another kill. But but that's what you're really supposed to think at that moment. You can't get that here because they're not in the middle of nowhere. They're not at a camp. They're not on a lake. They're not in the middle of Texas in where every house is two miles from each other. They're in a residential neighborhood. So the only way to create the feeling of isolation and helplessness is when the neighbors in Haddonfield won't even open their doors to you. So now we have it back again. Now she's helpless again. Now no one's coming to save her again. I think that also makes it scary because you realize how, I mean, people don't want to get involved. Yeah. You know, like that woman, I can't ever remember her name. They got killed in New York. Um, the whole reason that they tell you to yell fire if, uh, you know, someone's after you because that will get people's attention. But there was that woman, I can't remember her name, in New York that she was being murdered out in the street and everyone heard it and no one did anything. Regina Fire? Mm, I no, I'm just kidding. You said fire. I was like, maybe they named it after her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Regina Fire. Um. Uh, Why Regina? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting. But, but it's yeah. I mean, the fact that even in a small town where you typically associate small towns with everyone knowing everybody else and, and you know safety, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that element's there. 
So she gets in the house, and then you see the, the curtain blowing. And then Michael was ducked behind the couch. Knew she was, like, sitting there, I guess. And this kind of jumped up and stabbed down, missing her again. And then she swings around and stabs him with a, a, a knitting needle into his neck. And he is down and out cold. You gotta wonder, why did Lori's attacks affect Michael so much? Why did the, the needle in the neck have him out cold until a point? Why did st- poking him in the eye didn't seem to put him out and out and down, but then she stabs him in the chest with his knife and he's out cold. Then later, Loomis shoots him and all he really does is back him up into the doorway of the bedroom where he's standing there like, and then, then he goes down and within how long did Loomis go out and check and Michael's gone. Lori's hits had him just out cold for an amount of time, but six bullets didn't have him out much longer. I think he was playing a game. Ah, yeah. Take a let her uh, bring it, getting her off guard, maybe. Or Carpenter uh, was trying to get us off guard. You know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, she did it. She killed him. It's over. And then, no, it's not. And then watching her drop the knife, you're supposed to shout at the, the screen like, no, you dumb bitch. Which I do every year. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually saw uh, there's a reaction channel I watch and these, you know, girls had watched Halloween and then they watched Halloween 2. And then where the whole sister reveal comes out, they were like, that's why when she attacked him, it like he was down for the count for so long. And I really don't think there's anything mystical about it. I really just think that... um, Honestly, I think it was timing by Carpenter, and and it was for suspense. So you think we just um, have to go with the movie on this one? I that's what I think, but I also like the like what Aaron said too. Like he could have been fucking with her, you know. Well, like they might, you know, because I, I always looked at it as like it'd be the same game Carpenter's playing with us. So the Carpenter's yeah. thought and and Michael's thought would be parallel, but um, I think it's a thing where it like. And Michael's long-term thing, like, oh, she feels safe now, but she's not. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, I think that's it. Uh, I always thought that. I never thought that, like, he was actually knocked out. Really? And all that. Yeah. I never thought that. No, I never thought that he was actually knocked out or hurt or anything like that. I mean, because, like, I guess, and the reason I probably didn't think that is because, you know, he took six bullets and got up and just walked away fine. So I always theorized that, like, Oh, he must have just been playing a game with her earlier, which would kind of make sense, too, when you think about the fact that, like, he literally did, like, wait until she was gone, then get back up. And I mean, the same thing, like, where and I hate to say this, but I Halloween, Two probably also made me think this when, like, that idiot cop or state trooper or whatever is like, hey, he's dead. And stuff oh, like yeah. that. Yep. And Michael just is like, uh, no, I'm not like because it's like that get away from him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, one thing to support your argument is that the way Michael gets up um, when she's not looking at him, like any normal person would be like, oh, 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 God, what the hell just happened? You know, like, oh, man, I was stabbed. God, this hurts or whatever. Michael just gets sits up like the like a robot. 
it, it's a calculated sitting up. It's not an impulsive reaction human being sitting up. Could be that it was premeditated. Because this whole thing is fun to me. I've set this whole elaborate thing up. And yeah, like you said, I like, I want her feel, I want her to feel like she got me. And or I used to think that the reason they affected him so much is because he's never been attacked. He's never felt any pain in his life. He's never been stabbed or shot or anything. So he got a needle in his neck. That's a big deal to him at this point of his life. And then he got stabbed in the chest. God only knows how deep or if it hit that little spot between at the bottom of your chest in the middle, that little hole. Maybe it hit that. It was like a big deal to him. And his eye was already all fucked up. So he's like... Oh. Where were you? I went to the Myers house. I where... found the car. He's here. Where? He's three blocks down. You go around the back of the houses. I'll watch the front. Go on! Right. Why does he stop attacking Lori after she pulls his mask up? Well, I mean, because what it, what it seems like is that, you know, she pulls his mask up. No, I can't have my face out. I don't really know, but it's it almost seems to startle him too. Like like what? Ah, ah. He feels like exposed. <laughs> exposed, exactly. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And that feeling was so jarring to him that he literally took his sights off of what he's he's doing here. Yeah, I mean, I think him being behind the mask gives him a sense of comfort in some way maybe. Uh, because he also was wearing a mask when he, you know, killed his sister originally. So maybe that's, maybe he can't kill if he's not wearing the mask. A mask. Would it have been like a cooler moment if he's choking Lori and and then she lifts her? See, this would have been like a, a cheesy moment, though. I think I think they did kind of play it right, because a cheesy moment... In an 80s, I guess late 70s, 80s horror movie would be he's choking her and she lifts his mask. And then the audience's attention should be like, dun, 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 like and showing his face and zooming into it. And then Lori's eyes getting all wide eyed as she's looking at him in horror because you see the fucked up eye and blood coming down from it and him just continuing to choke her until Maybe Loomis says, Michael, and then he stops and then looks at Loomis and then Loomis shoots him. And at that point, if that happened, Michael's mask wouldn't have been on when Loomis shot him the next five times. And that would have taken away from the whole moment. That's true. So he had had to put it back on. Mm hmm. It wouldn't have been the same ending. It just wouldn't. How how weird would it? Because, you know, think about it, though. This happens all the time. Jason always gets unmasked, and then he's unmasked for the rest of the movie. Like part four, part, part seven. seven. Yeah, eight. Like, it's not like they say, no, 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 let's put it back on. You, you got a glimpse of him. So it's not like it would be unheard of. But imagine if Michael was shot those six times without a mask on, and then when he they showed him on the floor... You could kind of see his face because it's from a distance. How weird would that have been? Oh, yeah. I would not yeah. have had the same effect. No, I don't think I would have liked it. No. Here's a question about the end. How the fuck did Loomis never notice that car <laughs> when it was right there all night? Yeah. He's not very very uh, perceptive. Uh 
based on the fact that the car was literally right behind with Michael in it, pretty much, pretty much shouting, fuck you, Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so funny if Michael was given the finger when he drove past the hardware store? <laughs> yeah, I would love to, like, recreate that. But, like, yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't think he's pulling, like, I don't think it was even Michael pulling a fast one. I just don't think, despite the fact that he had, like, detective outfit on, I don't think he was much of a detective. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this too, okay, so when Lori went to drop off the key at the Myers house, she walked there from her house. And then when they went to babysit, they were driving for a long time. Like, I'm thinking, I thought the town was way smaller than this. How far are you guys going? But Right, because her house is near Michael's then. Yeah. So why then, like, the proximity of all of that doesn't make any sense to me. Because... He's right there. He hears and sees the kids running out of the house screaming. Where was he when she ran out screaming? Oh, that's a great point. Oh, wow. Like he was Whoa. stationed at that house oh, all night God, long. Oh, my God, Jamie, you just blew minds and the the doors <laughs> off this movie. <laughs> but Maybe I'm serious. We'll... Like it doesn't make any sense. Oh, my Maybe God. Maybe he was in the Myers house taking a shit. <laughs> Maybe. Was that the part when he was in the car with Brackett or something? No. No. no he was okay, I didn't think so. But elevating around. I mean, he's been, you know, stationed right there. Oh he told God. the kids to get their ass away from Dale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she comes running out. She's banging on doors. Nothing. You know, but Michael wow. is stalking back and forth across the street. And it's the middle nothing. of the night. You would have heard her screaming. Nothing. There would be no sounds to block it out. Yeah, but Holy. then when the kids when the kids come running out and they're screaming, he turns around and can see them right there. They're, they're not even far away. Well, no, that's not that big of a deal, though, because at that point, he already spotted the car and he started walking towards those houses. Oh, that's true. But OK, so we finally spotted the car, but that car has been there all night. It's not like it's not like Michael went out every, you know, periodically to move the car so he wouldn't you know, get a ticket. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> I think the street sweeper was coming that day. You just broke down a barrier that n I've never heard anyone mention. I've never heard this before. Wow. You, hey, I mean, Q Buckethead. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> like, like. Well, I mean, yeah, like John Carpenter, draw me a map. Where? <laughs> I want to understand. No, it all doesn't make sense. You're right. No, no. Because if Lori could walk from her house to the Myers house. And then he could walk from the Myers house to the Wallace house and the Doyle house. Then why did Lori need to leave her house, sit on a stoop, and get driven to the Doyle house and Wallace house? Well, yeah. so, you know, the only thing I can th say if, like, I'm trying to play devil's advocate or stretch is sure. that maybe they were just fucking like kids did in the 70s. They were like, oh, before we babysit, let's cruise around and smoke some dope and fucking chill and all this shit. And like, you know, uh, maybe they were just cruising for a while and like, ah, yeah, and I'll just drop you off because who wants to walk when they're stoned? But the thing that is blowing my mind is you're absolutely right. When Lori was screaming and running around the neighborhood from one end to the other, where the hell was Loomis then? That is the part that gets me like, Oh, <laughs> wow. This I think this podcast has changed everything. <laughs> yeah, I think you could post this question on every Halloween group and I would love to see the but let's not say anything until the show comes out. Wow. What a shitty movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, this movie sucked. Man, I thought it was good. Uh, 1.5.
Uh, wow. Hated it. Yeah, hated it. Yeah, man. I never thought of that. There are so many questions that have been posed tonight. Jamie, did you just come up with that? Or is that something you've always wondered? No, that is something that has always, always bothered me. Because I don't wow. understand it. I don't get it. Like, it doesn't That's make always any bothered? Do you think, God, you never did a Halloween podcast before? I got it on my show. <laughs> <laughs> no oh, kidding. Good. Wow, great. No, it just didn't make any sense to me. Like You're I'm listening like... to the Skeleton Crew. S-K-E-L-E-T-O-N. <laughs> We were on Horbid, we were on Horophilia, now we host our own show. My name is Alex, remember that? Uh, Jamie said this, and we're talking to Aaron Duncan. History. <laughs> History has been made on October 2023. Wow. Oh, man, what do you say after that? Uh... Okay, so yeah, those were cool shots when they showed everywhere they were in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really like that, too. I love Um, it, yeah. Yeah, and the... Yeah, and the lighting of each of the sets, because it's... They feel ominous and empty. And, you know... And you know, like, they're showing you where everything happened. You know what happened at each of those places, and that adds to it. But the fact that there's, you know, they're all dark, there's no no people are milling around, there's no sound, it's totally empty, it just kind of gives it a foreboding feeling. And, of course, we have to mention that the knife is still sitting next to the couch in one of these shots, mm-hmm. instead of uh, upstairs where it should be. I never noticed that. Oh, wow, yeah. Yep. How about that? I noticed the Loomis thing, but I never Yeah, but not the huge knife on the ground, on the carpet. Yeah, what do you know? Uh, Yeah, I love it. I love how you're supposed to think, wow, that's where she fell down the stairs. Wow, that's where this. Wow, that's where that. Like, that is so cool to, um, I think another movie, I remember another movie kind of did something like that where I was like, wow, they're showing you everything you went through in the last 90 minutes. And it really was a lot. And 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 now it happened here m- way more subtle, I guess, because they didn't. And in, in the movie I'm referring to, I, I believe they showed little clips of everything that went on. But um, in this one, it was, was just it like where because James Wan loves doing that. Oh, maybe it was because I did watch those recently. Oh, OK, maybe. yeah, maybe it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here it's way more subtle because like, no, it's just the space where it happened. So it's almost like it almost feels historical. Like, wow, these are the stairs that Michael walked down after stabbing Lori Strode, or, or this is that, this is that, yeah. Um, and then the final one, Michael went back to his house. I mean, how brazen is this guy? Like, he escapes, and he doesn't think anybody will check the only place he ever occupied before he was locked up for 15 years. I mean, he gives zero fucks about that. Even after all he yeah, just I mean, did. He's, he's Michael like, Myers. He doesn't have to give a fuck. Right. <laughs> Even after all he just did, he doesn't care. It's a different time, man. <sighs> yeah. They weren't tracking his phone. <laughs> 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 and on that note, is there? I, I guess we'll we'll rate this. Um, we'll give... Uh, I know it's been a long show. Thank you, guys. Uh, it doesn't even feel it. <laughs> like... 
I'm glad you're not feeling it because uh, we have some things to talk about. No, I was kidding. Now, uh, okay, let's at least say um, uh, our favorite uh, maybe moment, our favorite kill, and then how we rate it. So, uh, Aaron, what is your favorite moment of this movie? What what encapsulates Halloween to you? Um, for me, the my favorite moment is when she's running across the street and Michael just like you see the figure come out and hit, watching him walk uh, across the street. It's so tense, um, you know, and just like as he gets closer and closer and closer, like I can feel that every time uh, by far. Um, as far as favorite kill goes, um, the Bob kill. I mean, it's so iconic. Like, you know, it's just like get out of town, uh, hands down. Yeah, from from bursting out of the closet to the very end of his head tilt. Oh yeah, and uh, as far as rating goes, I mean, for me, this is this is in my top three movies of all time, which they all interchange. And now, uh, Alex, I can officially say I have done a podcast with you on every one of my favorite movies, uh, or, or my top three favorite movies. So, what are the other two? Uh, Days of Confused. And the 1990 uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I love that last laugh. I, I can tell Jamie no longer takes me serious. <laughs> yeah, she's like, okay, there's your credibility. No, no, no. Ooh. No shade. When that movie came out, I went to see it. And I had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles watch from Burger King oh, that you nice. would flip up the turtle shell. I still have and- that. And you could t- really? Yeah, I have it. Do you really? Yeah. I think I have mine somewhere. But uh, I was huge into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Just, just oh. loved them. So no, I'm throwing no shade. That was. Uh, oh, and it was hilarious too because uh, right around that time there was a nightmare movie that came out. I remember. Yeah. And I uh, went to see it, and when the new line, when the new line thing came up, there was a kid who goes. <gasps> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I was like, "Oh no, kid!" <laughs> no. I was that kid, Jamie. Every time I saw a New Line after that, all I thought about were turtles <laughs> for the rest of my uh, life. Yeah, poor kid ended up traumatized. Yeah, by, by some woman screaming at him. Oh no, 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 no! no. She screamed at the other one, who, who, where she she said, "Show some respect." That was the Exorcist. Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I know. You know what's crazy is I've been such a uh, avid crew listener for all these years that I know all these stories and I love it. It's so crazy. Um, I know it's, I need to get new stories. <laughs> she's like been hawking the same ones for like, I have. Years. Oh my Everybody God. knows all my stories <laughs> and it's just, I'll be on some random podcast, you know, that I've never been on before. And I'll start to tell a story and they're like, Oh yeah, I know that one. And I'm like, she's <laughs> like, you, you know, the one about the ghost in the bathroom. Yeah. I know that one too. Oh really? Jesus. My girlfriend always is like, you always tell the same stories in this over and over again. Like, cause I, I do. And I don't realize I just get real excited when I'm telling them. And so like, like she'll be like, Oh, you can be kind of repetitive. And so now every time she does it, I'm like, you're always repetitive. You always say, I'm saying, I'm telling the same story. <laughs> yeah, you're a gaslighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know what, though, Aaron, I have to tell you that that actually means a lot to me that you not only know the stories, but you don't get pissed off about having to hear them again. Oh, no, no. I feel like I'm a that's part of the so, crew. That's so cool. I well, love it. 
Dude, Dude, this is one of my favorite shows of all time, and thank you for stepping in. Um, if I know a lot of people are probably wondering, we didn't give you a big build-up or anything, because to me, this is this is totally natural for me. I mean, the listeners, though, um, we have cited, me and Aaron, that he's never been on a Skeleton Crew show. I mean, you, you should know from the Scream show, if you listen, you should be listening to Bare Bones. I mean, it's just an extension of Skeleton Crew. But um, so he was there and all that. But he he knows us. Uh, people who are really into the skeleton crew should know you because you were on plenty of cut to the chase episodes. And if they were into skeleton crew, they were into Dan and and that's his show. And then you were in plenty of married with children episodes with us. So we I've actually podcasted with Aaron like fifteen times. Oh yeah, it's it's strange actually thinking about it because I never have been on a skeleton crew podcast. So basically, I think I got into you guys right before Jamie joined um, around the Michael J era kind of deal, um, right before. And my buddy was showing me podcasts. I used to have a job where all I did was drive. And so I wanted to just find podcasts online and see what was out there and all that stuff. And I think I found you guys maybe YouTube, but at the time I didn't have Facebook or anything like that. So I was strictly just listening and wasn't like someone that was in the groups. And so I know at one point or another, I had Facebook for a little bit, activated it, got a little more involved in uh, some of the skeleton crew, like group stuff. And then you and I just became friends. Well, you started leaving messages too, remember? The five-year thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I would start leaving messages or video messages and all that stuff. And we just became friends in the process. And uh, it felt very natural. But it is kind of odd that like the this was the show that got me introduced to you. And like, this is the first time I've actually you've been on everyone but this. Yeah, I've been on everyone but this. So it's kind of <laughs> ironic. But um, back to the lecture at hand. Uh, five. This this freaking movie is a five for me. I mean, it's a five out of five. Um, yeah, I love this movie. Um, it's my favorite of all time. Uh, you know, this podcast has gone on forever. And like one topic I, I wanted to talk about um, and we can give you ratings if you want or is like, <laughs> do you guys remember where you were the first time you seen it? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't yeah, mind. I just told uh, the story on my last uh, bare bones, but. Well, tell it again. People don't seem to mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first time I, I, I definitely watched this when I was young, I, I was telling this whole journey of like why I used to say the stupid line that I got into horror when I was like 20, even though I cited like a hundred times how that's not true. Cause I, how, how could I have watched Jason endlessly at 11 years old? How could I have snuck into Jason X Manhattan? How could I have got into all the classic universals and made interviews with my grandmother when I was 13 years old? If, if that was true. <laughs> so it's obviously not true. And what I, what I was saying on the last bare bones is that what I was trying to give props to in saying that, was that Halloween is the movie that changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. So, so like around 99, 2000, I, I brought these two tapes home and I sat on the floor of my bedroom, propped up against the bed and um, put on Halloween one, watched it straight through uninterrupted. And uh, I don't know what I thought at the moment, but I know I immediately wanted to watch Halloween two. I watched that. And when that was done, I said, I don't think I'm ever going to be the same from this day forward. Like, this is everything I ever wanted in life. This is like, this is who I am. I need more of this. This is uh, 
something. <laughs> like, and I just knew from that point that I have a whole new found love for horror and a whole new avenue that I'm going to be on. And from there, I had to have every Friday the 13th. I had to have every Halloween. I had to have every Texas Chainsaw. I already had all the Freddies, which I bought in the mid-90s. Since That shows, again, I lied about saying I'd gotten horror in 2000. But that those didn't strike me. Those didn't change the course of my life. Halloween did. And and when I saw these, I just knew I watched something amazing. I just knew I watched something that I, I is different. And that is who I am. In Samuel's writing, fate is immovable like a mountain. It stands where man passes away. Fate never changes. And so that that moment, luckily, I, it's not like a kid moment. Or like I did watch it with my friends when I was 12 or whatever, but everybody was talking. Nobody paid attention. All they cared about was the music and Michael's mask or something. But like I had my own little moment when I was 19, 20. So, and it's, you know, older, so I could really remember how I took that in and, and the moment, how it changed me. And I wouldn't be sitting here right now without this movie. So how strange that I'd never reviewed it in all these years. But wow, this was a magical night for me. Having you two here, one of my best friends, Jamie, another best friend, and someone who's taken this podcast journey with me for 11 seasons. Um it's it's everything to me um yeah this i can't believe it took but i'm I'm happy it's happening now in a another way too you know it's beautiful yeah it's not like i'm like bummed out we just did it and it was great and i loved it (laughs) meant to happen this way yeah yeah i believe in fate Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's immovable fate Fate never changes (laughs) it doesn't this is how it was supposed to go down and that's um, what he said about fate. Now you're quoting that movie or the <laughs> Halloween. Oh, yeah. <laughs> First time I watched it, I honestly don't know. I saw part two and part three in the theater. Wow. But I had already seen Halloween by the time part two came out because I knew what it was. But I don't know. I assume I watched it on HBO or something when I was a kid. I have no idea. I, I, it was always there. It was just always there and then um i remember i would watch it every year on halloween and it would come on tv so i was really familiar with the tv cuts of both this and halloween 2 um before i you know bought copies of them years and years later and then i was very surprised about the scenes that were missing i was like wait a minute am i going crazy because i know there was a scene where they were talking about this blouse (laughs) or Uh, As far as a rating is concerned, it's a straight up five. This film is pretty much perfect. I really don't think there's anything I would change about it. And even though the Halloween franchise is not my favorite franchise, the original Halloween film is uh, it's a fantastic film. Now, I have said before that if somebody just straight up asked me which one I would prefer to watch, I'll often go to two because it's more slashery. And I just, I love slashers. So that one to me is fun. It's got nudity. It's got gore. It's got, you know, it's, um, it's closer to what you get with a Friday film. So that one I love for the fun of it. But as far as an actually well-made film, very few top this one. 
Yeah, my favorite kill, um, Bob, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. What else would you say, Annie? A, a choke around, a reach around choke, uh, telephone. That's pretty iconic, I guess. Um, especially if you add in the setup with Bob, but you have to really buy into that. Like, would Michael do that? Why would he do that? That's, but he, I guess he would if he did everything else. Again, it's one of those things people want to ignore and not think about and not explore. So. We're just going to act like it's not a big deal. So my favorite moment, and I, I, I guess two are tied. One is just simply Lori walking across the street at night and that music playing. That, to me, um, something always struck me about that. There's just It's like a beautiful moment. It's like a beautiful tragedy kind of moment. Um, she has no idea what's in store for her. She has no idea what's going on. And then the other one is is simply what I think is just the most badass moment ever. I'm going to take a little walk. Was it the boogeyman? I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. Are you sure? How? I killed him. You can't kill the boogeyman. Get in there. Come on, Tommy. Now lock the door. Then they look up, and there the fuck he is. And he just looks like a fucking maniac, psychopathic killer in this scary-as-fuck white mask. The way he's hunched over, the way his eyes look so hollowed out, the way his knife is facing them, and the way he's, like, kind of staggering up those stairs. There is something, and the way the kids scream and dart into different rooms and she goes and I, there's just something about that moment that is so dark and so um so just something captured that is everything you want captured in a horror film and it encapsulates anything i've ever wanted to feel that that moment is what i've always wanted to feel in a horror film i yeah um Historically in the skeleton crew, I've made some weird comments. I've I I had some moments where I, I didn't embrace this movie. Like I didn't even put it in my top ten show. I've said things like Halloween two is is I like that more and stuff like that. I don't know what was I was going through at the time. I was just like fighting the grain in myself or something. I don't know. I always just try to like not put this there. Because I guess I you just hear it all the time. And maybe it's like one of those reactionary things where you don't just want to sound like everyone else. I don't know. But it is the movie that changed my the course of my entire life. I'm so grateful for it. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know you two without this movie. Yeah, man. Yeah, so it that would be so sad to me to know that you Aww. guys aren't in my life. And how could I ever live like that? It just it's just not it's just who I am. It, it's 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 made me who I am, honestly. So, no, this is a straight-up five out of five. Uh, yeah. The iconic classic. Yeah, it's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> five fives. Uh, three fives. <laughs> if we had two more people, I'm sure they'd give it a five. <laughs> they would. <laughs> oh, my God. She wouldn't let that just go. And I was going to edit that out, too. <laughs> oh well, you can't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's great that you did that. Uh, if we had two more people, I'm, I'm sure they would say that. 
Uh, yeah, but thank you for hopping on. Thanks for making this happen, Aaron. Uh, it's been great. You were awesome on the show. You really brought it. Um, I wanted this to be like a, one of the best Skeleton Crew shows ever since since its conception like three weeks ago. Uh, I just really wanted this to be something. And, and you guys made that um, a fruition. So thank you. Dude, thank you. This is my favorite podcast and i got to do my favorite movie of all time with some of my favorite people uh so uh, yeah thank you for having me man this is a dream come true for sure yeah i was really excited and uh i was not disappointed i had a really great time i always have a great time with aaron though like whenever we which is not often enough but whenever we do get to hang out and chat about stuff it's always fun yeah, we, we got to do it more, guys. Uh, my schedule will be clear after Halloween totally, so let's do a few more together for sure. Yeah, let's yeah, I'll bang a few out in November with you, whatever. Let's do it, man. Um, and uh, we also got to get the ghoul under your bed. He wants to be on the show, too. Uh, he hasn't been on since we did that great um, ghost story show. Nice. Oh, yeah. Remember that, him and Jay Courthouse? Yes, I do. Yep. So we're going to do that, too. So, ghoul... Don't worry, brother. Did I ever tell you about that ghost in the bathroom? Uh, you can tell us again. Nobody minds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people are like jumping in someone's car. Hey, what is this you're listening to? Uh, another one of Jamie's stories. She told it on episode 13, 42, and 95. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, all right. Well... Happy Halloween, everyone. Wow. Skeleton Crew Show in October of 2023. Holy crap. Happy Halloween. Yes. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. One more day till Halloween. 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 <laughs> stop it! Uh, yeah, and he's not kidding. He wants me to stop singing that. <laughs> Later, guys. Bye. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs>